I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, still not part of the Divine Council, but working on it. Bionic. Well, remember, this is our first show this week. We're just kicking off a brand new discussion this week. It's called foreshadowing. 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 Uh Yeah, you're a prophet. (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a guest that we hear requested a lot on our show. People can't get enough of him. Uh, They love his work and his blogs and and his other periodicals. Uh, We've got Dr. Michael Heiser, who is the academic editor uh, for Logos Bible Software. Uh, And he is going to talk about... um, it's based upon a talk that I heard at the Ancient of Days conference uh, where he was, and we're going to talk about how uh, society has fashioned a theology of an E.T. God as a replacement of the Judeo-Christian God. So we're going to be talking about that this week mm-hmm. uh, based upon his research at the Ancient of Days conference, and uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating time. Um, I think it's one of those discussions that's going to provide lots of food for thought for listeners. Uh, if Michael Heiser is involved, I'm sure it will produce tons of uh, interesting thought. Well, I, I agree. Uh, he is a person who you have to have your thinking cap on mm-hmm. if you're going to actually follow what he's doing. He has provocative comments yeah. that he makes to people. Um, well, and, and, he doesn't look for just simple answers. And one of the things that you've mentioned uh, to me about him in the past, in many ways, he's much more orthodox than the orthodox. That's right. You know, he reads the text for what's there and not for... Mm-hmm. You know, he, uh, he's, his ultimate dogma. commitment is not to creeds. Yeah, it is to the text of what he he respects the Bible and the preserved Bible yeah. that much. You'll never see him going. Well, I don't like that. He'll, right. He's like, well, well the Bible there, makes it. There. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew of a church once where, where one of the deacons said, uh, um, "I may not know the Bible, but I know common sense." Oh yeah, that's a very sort of a famous <laughs> famous story. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's not Dr. Heiser's approach. No. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not familiar with him, you're in for a real treat. Uh, he, he's going to cause you to challenge and think in some of these comments, uh, and there's a real challenge for the church in this. And uh, I think Dr. Heiser is going to be a real star of the future in the body for those who have ears to hear. So no further ado, here's Dr. Michael Heiser uh, talking about how the E.T. God is replacing the God of the Bible in society. And then we'll be right back to discuss his comments here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not a member of the Divine Council yet, by honor. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we have a, uh, obviously it's going to be one of our most popular guests back on our show who's made time for us. Uh, we have Dr. Michael Heiser, the mm-hmm. academic editor for Lagos Bible Software, uh, talking about something that I've asked him to speak about, uh, that I heard him speak recently at the Ancient of Days uh, conference. Uh, and I'm titling this show, How the E.T. God is Replacing the God of the Bible in Society, uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better uh, topic. But uh, Dr. Heiser, I just want to tell you, it is an honor to have you back on the show again for, I believe, your third appearance on our show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I know I know your head probably gets big because of the feedback people give you, but I can tell you on the message boards that uh, follow our show, uh, I can't tell you how many people instead have looked up your research, or either looked at our archives or your website or elsewhere, and it has radically changed their worldview of the Bible uh, from what they've read. And I don't know a higher praise you can give to a to a Bible student and scholar. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, it it had the same effect on me as, as I was discovering these things, too. Mm. Well, uh, you know, from the again, from the feedback we get, your shows and your research are some of the most popular amongst all the many prestigious guests that we have on our show here. And uh, we're constantly getting emails to have you back on. And uh, we'd like to have you on a lot more, but I just know that you're in such demand with your uh, with, with your professional work, uh, with your speaking and, and even family duties and things like that, that we don't want to abuse the privilege. But uh, you have a standing invitation. Uh, you're one of our guests who you could just read from the phone book, and we would find it fascinating and educational. <laughs> well, he could do it in, like, Hebrew <laughs> and Aramaic well, and Aramaic and that, Greek. That and, is true. He could yeah. read the runes out of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I want to talk about something that really captivated me of your work. But, but before we get started, uh, you know, for, for our, our listeners to get a detailed narrative of your background, uh, I would recommend that they review your prior appearances uh, on our show that are listed in our archives at futurequake.com. Uh, if you're new to our show, just go into the past shows tab. There are a couple earlier shows. I think it's uh, essential listening, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more detail about Dr. Heiser's background. But if you don't mind, if you could give us just a very brief synopsis about your background and your area of expertise and maybe even some of your research publications, we'd appreciate it. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm I'm now the editor at uh, Logos Bible Software, academic editor. That's a nice title for language geek. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't it sound better than language geek? (laughs) Um, I'm involved with a lot of the uh, production of ancient language databases, Mm -hmm. translations, and interlinears, and that sort of thing. Um, That's that's probably the majority of what I've what I've been doing, but. you wear a lot of hats at Logos. Everybody does. So, can you explain that, that to I, me? Explain that again. What exactly you do? What What do you okay. get, and then what do you do with it? My you My wife up? asked me the same question, even though I've been here five years. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Uh, well, we, I'm I'm part of a department called Design and Editorial, and the department uh, primarily focuses on the creation of ancient language research tools for biblical studies and areas outside of biblical studies as well, but mostly biblical studies. And so we either create uh, databases ourselves or interlinears or something like that. Either one of us in the office does it, or we license uh, projects and data that other people outside have been working on, toiling away on their own, and they're interested in seeing it become a software product. And so if we reach an agreement with them, it, it, that their data comes to our department and then we make it into something useful within our platform. But um, that's 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 probably uh, insider speak. I mean, we mm-hmm. just we we create a lot of things for if you want to do word studies, if you want to do grammar studies, if you want to see the original text of behind Josephus or behind the New Testament or behind the Old Testament, behind some Hebrew inscription or Dead Sea Scrolls. Our department it produces that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a year, it's a little more than a year ago, I created a database of Hebrew and uh, Moabite, Phoenician, Biblian, and Ammonite inscriptions. And that involved literally looking at the photographs, typing out the text, and putting grammatical information on every word. And you do all the kind of minutiae like that, but the, the end result is a database that can be searched and integrated with your normal Hebrew Bible or your some Hebrew interlinear or something like that. Mm. So mm. you can search for a word every word occurs in the Hebrew Bible and also every word occurs in another set of inscriptions, another set of data. 
hmm. and then you can compare its usage and stuff like that. So we do anything in this department related to ancient language stuff. That's primarily what we do. But I'm, I'm also one of the editors for Bible Study Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we went into print. Uh, we're, we're approaching our first year uh, for the magazine. It, it's, it's, we've been blessed because a number of magazines have, if, you're, you know, if your listeners keep up with the news, you know, if you're in print media, you're, you're, you're really on hard times. Right. Uh, but our, our magazine has actually, we've gone over, I think, 12,000 subscriptions now. So it, wow. it has, it's reached the point of sustainability mm-hmm. uh, in less than a year. Which is pretty rare. Uh, we've gotten some notice in the you know, Library Journal and some things like that. It, and it, it just—it's a great magazine. It, you know, it's called Bible Study Magazine, and we we try to do some of the normal stuff that you'd find in a Christian magazine. But it's really geared for Bible study in terms of methods and content. And we are deliberately more edgy. Uh, we mm-hmm. we really want to not evade the hard questions, the difficult passages, the weird stuff. Uh, the background information that we, we try to recruit. Part of my job is to recruit scholars who I think can write for a popular audience to give us their work in something, some digestible form. See, that's all new to me that this whole edgy stuff's a new topic for us. We try to stay right down the middle. What are you talking We stay right down the middle. We're actually more conservative than, say, a Dobson or something like that <laughs> in our content, but we'll take your word for it. Um, it, you know, we would certainly be welcome to put a link to that because it's a kind of publication sure, we'd like yeah. our listeners, if that's okay with your outfit yeah, it's there. Yeah, BibleStudyMagazine.com. We we have that that URL and it'll take people to information about the magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I, I taught for 12 years on the undergrad level. I actually taught last year too at a local university here. Uh, did their ancient history sequence at Western Washington University and have a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Semitic languages and couple other degrees and other stuff, Hebrew and ancient history. And, and that's from the University of Wisconsin? Of so, University, yeah, University of Wisconsin. Wisconsin and Madison. And uh-huh. I have a master's from, uh, another master's from University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. So okay. I've, hmm. I've, I've been in the Ivy League and, and pretty much everything that people say about it is true. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you should feel at home if you've been in Ivy League with the Future Quake show. I think it's a uh, very similar clientele here. Uh, well, no, you, you you guys have much more personalities. <laughs> well, you know, anybody there? You you gave um, one of the best compliments that I have ever received about our show uh, when I very sheepishly asked you to come back again on the show, knowing how busy you are, and you said that you made special uh, uh, opportunities for us because you felt like what we were doing was important. Uh, that's, that's true. You, you guys are you guys get moved up to the queue, so don't hesitate to ask. Well, oh, that's uh, that is something I just can't tell you how much that means to me, personally. And I hope sometime when things are slow, if they ever are, you need to veg out that you can drop over and catch some of the strange shows we have in the archives of Future yeah. Quake. Uh, well, I've been to your site. I've uh, been to your site. Trust me. Well, I think <laughs> I think there's a number of things you may find that you find amusing, at least uh, from what we cover. Uh, you gave a fascinating, at least to me, a presentation at the recent Ancient of Days Christian Conference on Aliens out at Roswell, uh, which I also attended and, and presented there as well. And it was called Why an Extraterrestrial God Would Appeal to Today's Culture. Can you tell us why you decided to prepare and deliver such a presentation and topic and maybe a, just a brief capsule summary of the scope of the briefing? Well, I, I wanted it, – it's actually been something I'm – been thinking about it, it, it overlaps with and correlates with 
my thoughts as I think through what I want to do in the sequel to the facade. Um, and really, I mean, another I've book, that for a, a book long that you time. published, another book that's been out, a non or a fiction book that you've done. Yeah, it's, it's a novel, but it, mm -hmm. it gives my sort of a it's sort of a UFO stuff 101 for Christians. Why would anybody be interested in this? And I use that as a vehicle to, to get into theology and biblical studies and some of the more, you know, arcane uh, passages, but also to get into the subject itself because uh, it is it is something that captivates a lot of interest. You know, just look at the popular media and the alien theme is everywhere. Um, and it's also important because it asks big-picture questions, you know, sort of, getting us to think about who we are, you know, what, what if there are other aliens, how does that affect my view of, of the Bible, how does it affect my, my view of God, you know, the, or my place in the universe, and all the, you know, all these sort of big picture theological questions that uh, people are used to thinking about, or, or it's not unfamiliar territory, they, it often doesn't have that spin on it, but, you know, you meet a lot of people at, at events like Ancient of Days or UFO conferences, and they're very open to talking about uh, real big, uh, important, broad, sweeping spiritual questions, because that's where their head is most of the time. And mm -hmm. the, the facade is sort of the the, the toe dipping uh, into that, but there's there is a, a real spiritual point to the story, and especially uh, with the sequel. And, and one of the things that that uh, I'm going to angle for in the sequel is to really present what I think is is a fairly comprehensive, uh, far-reaching point to the whole UFO subject. Um, mm. and I, I think it's all about redefining in the minds of as many people as possible uh, words like God and words like you know Jesus, words like salvation, words like um, kingdom, uh, all these big theological terms that we use. I think it's really about redefining and reorienting um, in, really on a global scale, how we think of ourselves, how we think of, of this thing or this person we call God. Now, some of our conventional listeners just had a heart attack right now yeah. and are afraid that you've gone in the New Age deep end that you're throwing out the God of the Bible. No, it, it's, it's, it's precisely because people throw out the God of the Bible. Or I, I think a better way to put it is they substitute an alternative deity or deities for the God of the Bible, and they use the same language. They have... They use the same theological terms. They use the same theological concepts. It's just it's sort of a bait and switch. And to many people in the popular culture, the, they've been prepped either by popular media or by friends they know or by some experience they had or you know a book they read. So many different uh, sources for this, but they, they've been prepped to to think of how we got here and who made us and. What, what is our destiny as human beings? You know, you hear a lot about, you know, the next step in human evolution. Nowadays we hear words like transhumanism uh, to sort of, you know, transcend what it means to be human. And, and you know, we, we, we talk about things like quantum physics on a fairly popular level. And, and people, because of the Internet and because we live in a 20, 21st century culture, people who aren't specialists in these areas are used to, to talking about them. They have a, a modicum of, of knowledge in a lot of these areas, and, and there are certain things about those ideas that feel very spiritual, that, 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 that take us beyond you know what we are in our mundane existence and things like that. And there's a lot of ways that 
that those questions and, and the, the extraterrestrial question really begin to displace um, what we think of as, as faith and religion and creation and destiny and, and really big, important theological ideas. And So as, I, as I've been thinking about how I see that happening in the popular culture and the Church's rather poor uh, response um, to that, and really the, the, the Church's um, deer-in-the-headlights status mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to, pe- to you know, people... These people are in their churches. You know, they, they, they watch these shows, they read these books, and they, they may not bring up the question in Sunday school because they're afraid they'll get laughed at. Or, well, we're going to talk about that you know, here in our, in our they're, next they're there, questions. Yeah. Uh, just statistically, they're there. I mean, you don't need right. any more, anything more than just raw statistics. You know, there, there's so many. And, 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 you know, we live in a day and age where if someone has a question, they may ask the pastor, but usually they'll Google it. Mm-hmm. And when you get into areas like this, there's a whole lot of, really bad or, or disinformation out there that is very new agey, very very God sounding, very Jesus sounding, mm-hmm. very theistic sounding. I Zachariah really Sitchins. Bad doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So I want to use the vehicle of fiction, you know, to to address that and, and also other things I do. Okay. But your presentation, obviously you're going to a conference talking about aliens. We know that it was geared to bring in pastors and other theologians, at least they were invited to come hear this. So you felt like now was the time uh, to put this message out. I, I consider this sort of a minor manifesto myself, uh, where you, you laid out on the, on the table um, that people are being attracted uh, to a message. They're constructing before our very eyes an alternative theological structure, and the church is standing with their hands in their pockets. I, I don't want to steal the thunder for the end of our, of our, of our talk because we're going to get to that. But basically, that motivated you that now was the time for you to put this out on the table for consideration, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, going on to the UFO phenomena, um, as it pertains to the impact in our society, um, we, we have some people from Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway Bookstores, and others who keep a, a fairly narrow view, maybe, of some of the things that they review or interest. Can you explain to them what is some of the evidence you can point to? to illustrate how pervasive the whole UFO culture and phenomena, how pervasive its influence is in our culture today, some of the more prominent things right. that are important to you. Right. Well, I, I, I spend most of my time uh, reading through academic material on this, and what I mean by that is peer-reviewed stuff, you know, scholarly journals, academic journals, uh, academic publications. The, 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 broadly speaking, the, the interest in UFOs and UFOs as affecting religion is actually a a sub-discipline in what is called today uh, new religious movements or alternative religious movements. And it's not just UFO cults. It's basically uh, anything that it, that incorporates an interest in this subject and uses it to build a worldview or to build a theology or, or a faith. I mean, we, we tend to think of, you know, Heaven's Gate call to the Raelians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of a lot of other people out there that are that are frankly more mainstream, more I would say brighter, uh, just more thoughtful uh, when it when it comes to some of these things. And and their view, if if, if your your readers are familiar, your listeners are familiar with, you know, the, the idea of the cosmic Christ. So if they watch Oprah, they're going to get this kind right. of right. Um, sort of a redefining what what Jesus is, you know, on, on a broad pluralistic 
level. Well, the, this this cosmic Christ thing is is an important part of uh, UFO belief systems too. The only difference is that we're talking about the uh, we're, we're taking the idea or the notion that there is probably uh, intelligent life elsewhere out there and marrying it to human origins and human intelligence and major religious figures and essentially how we got here, that sort of thing. It, uh, it, it's not the cartoonish or the sci-fi uh, sort of picture that emerges, you know, that sort of pops into your head when you talk about this stuff. Hmm. It's really about ideas. Okay. Uh, and ideas are really important. Um, just the sort of how how does how does this this question or this issue of what if there are other aliens out there how would that make you rethink or reprocess what you already believe about our creation about mm -hmm. the nature of god uh, the nature of, of, of jesus and so mm -hmm. on and so forth because if that becomes a reality someday and right. we have this pushed on us so often that's going to force Christians to, to you're going to have to do something with that. Mm -hmm. And ignoring it doesn't work. Uh, you're, you're going to have to do something more intelligent with that. And some people are sort of already down that road, even though mm -hmm. it's not a proven fact, even though there's no real hard scientific evidence for it. Mm -hmm. They have mentally already been down this road of, of processing these questions. And in the process of doing that sifting in their heads, they begin to either unconsciously or consciously uh, redefine biblical ideas and biblical doctrines mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. so that they're comfortable uh, to them. Well, they, they've been so heavily influenced by the topic and by what they see or read that they, they somehow feel this inner urgency to sort of fit in here now, mm -hmm. and that affects really what they believe. Right, shoehorn it. Well, we're going to talk more about the religious uh, uh, aspect of it shortly, but but I'll, I'll just give some examples for our listeners. Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, the almighty dollar and the fact that the golden rule, you know, who has the gold makes the rules. When, when, when they see the the fact that um, there's so many TV shows on cable television about UFOs, it's nonstop, the popularity of the X-Files and things like this, mm -hmm. they don't do that because no one's interested. They do right. it because it gets tons of people. Uh, ask, uh, the uh, advertisers are willing to pay very large sums of money because there's such a large audience uh, that catches like this. The like the History Channel, they did a two-hour special. That's exactly well, and know, it's, on, on ancient astronauts. Well, and they have a, I, right. I, I refer to the, I refer to it as the Fantasy Channel. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I get some great theology from there. I'm sure you'd agree with that. Uh, but the uh, nice. between there and the Discovery Channel and others, I mean, it's wall to wall UFO files, this or that or whatever. It makes its way so much into our culture. It's it's almost a can't miss in the movie theater when you use that particular topic. Yeah. And so um, it's something that if you want to stick your head in the ground and say, I don't even want to think about it, well, the world is going to pass you by because that's the direction the world is going. And well, look at the movie, look at Knowing, the recent movie Knowing with right. Nicolas Cage. Right. It's a, it's a very high-tech, beautifully done, um, parody is the wrong word, but imitation uh, of biblical ideas like, sure. like the, the vision in Ezekiel 1. And, and there's a very deliberate blurring of are these angels, are they aliens, or maybe maybe that's the same answer to the same question. Well, they make it yeah. obvious as the end of your nose because they clearly show that these uh, prophetic views of Ezekiel and others had to be these uh, alien right. visitors, in fact, right. shown to be alive. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, they assume the, the intellect of the public is so low that they have to make it so obvious uh, on the end of the nose to put that together. I guess I'm going to have to see this movie. Uh, it's come up a couple times. Yeah, yeah, I'll see if you sit through all of it. Um, well, even your, even Transformers is just right. a uh, you know a preteen or a teenage version of of the ancient astronaut myth. I mean, it, it's right. the same. It's the same thing. You have these intelligent beings who who were here eons ago, and they built this or that, the pyramids. Or, I mean, it, it's just it's so repetitive. Um, mm-hmm. You know that you you almost. I, I would challenge people that I'll, I'll bet that you cannot get through a week of TV Guide without finding. Mm-hmm. Uh, something in prime time, you know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. restrict it to prime time, but something in prime time along these themes. It's, it's like one a, of the regular channels or cable channels. It's like a myth that Joseph Campbell would be interested. You know, the the hero mm-hmm. of a thousand faces or whatever. It's the same thing of the ancient mythology. They have just updated with technology. Sure. But, but it's something that's that's been imprinted. Uh, they like to think it's in our genes, and I think it's just good old fashioned. Uh, a subjection uh, to the information, you know, to our senses that, that actually imprints it in there. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Yes, I am strong. Bionic. Where did that come from? Um, well, we were just talking about... How Was that something about the show when I wasn't here? Or yeah, well, we were just talking off air about how much knuckle cracking made you, like, sound tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. Thought about cracking your knuckles a few times. <laughs> Brother and the Lord. Uh, what did you think about our first segment with Brother was, Mike? I thought it was very good. You know, we had a little mutual patting on the back there. Back I love that. That's yeah, the I best. Know. Listeners love that. I love it. It's like just... Mutual admiration yeah, society. Here we go. We don't get that no, from anybody. No, hey. <laughs> no, hey. I think, he pit, I think he pities us. Yeah, yeah. It's like fooling with a kid with no legs He or says there, but for the grace of God, go I. And he looks at us. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Probably. Um, I did enjoy his. I, you call this talk a minor manifesto. Wow. To me, that's sort of what it was. It was a manifesto. It was mm-hmm. a charge to the church to get real, mm-hmm. to get their head out of the sand, quit playing around, mm-hmm. and start coffee. talking about the difficult topics that everybody else is talking about. Recognize what's going on in the world mm-hmm. around them. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm always afraid when I, I take some of his thoughts and I make them so primitive. You know, <laughs> it's like a cave painting. It's my yeah. my castings <laughs> swine before pearls. I know. I noticed that you know one of the tests for me about uh, complex concepts if is I can if I can explain it to somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very good communicator most of the time. I shouldn't even be doing radio, but you pity me. Yeah, so. I don't know how we um, well, his people get what they pay the, for at Futurequake. Yeah. His stuff is always <laughs> there. You go. His stuff is always the hardest to explain, but when mm-hmm. you listen to it, it's very you know comes right. across easily. That's exactly right. So. Well, speaking of primitive, uh, we need to bring Merv in to tell you all how you can contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's the end of the road. But he had a voice built for radio. Mm-hmm, yeah. certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, come back for the rest of the week of our show with Dr. Michael Heiser. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. 
join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. Tom, the word of the Lord came to me and took me outside and showed me the stars. Bionic. Is, is this a big announcement you're letting us all know, that including is, me? That is a very, very inside uh, foreshadowing on the guest that we're going to have on today. Okay. All right. Uh, I think, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to really enjoy it. We found mm-hmm. out a little bit about uh, the background of Dr. Heiser. And uh, today we're going to get more into meat and potatoes of his presentation, talking about the God that society is building amongst the 50% of the population who is fascinated and enamored with the whole E.T. Uh, concept. Uh, it's something you see everywhere, and uh, we're going to talk about it and the impact uh, that the church is or is not having on a large portion of our population. So. With no further ado, I think we just need to go right to it. Roll uh, here's Dr. Michael Heiser uh, talking about how the E.T. God is replacing the God of the Bible and society. And we'll be right back to wrap up our discussion here at Future Quake. But, but in your presentation related to this, you cited an impressive and shocking array of very credible statistics from, from credible uh, polling firms about what the American public thinks about the UFO phenomena and the mm-hmm. possibility of intelligent life away from Earth and even their contact with us and their motives. Can you recite some of the more provocative examples from that data you showed? And, and what do you gather is the general message to be derived from that data? Well, I think I think the what, what you're referring to is I went through a list of mostly Gallup polls beginning in 1947, uh, all the way up into the late 90s. Um, they weren't all Gallup polls. There were a few other ones. And, and trust me, it was just a sampling of what I could have given. Mm-hmm. But... The, there were common questions uh, that Gallup has asked. Let's just take the Gallup polls, for example. That Gallup has asked the same questions at different intervals. Uh, three of the questions I, I focused on were, have you ever heard or read about flying saucers? And then another one was, in your opinion, are they something real or imagined? And then a third question was, are people somewhat like ourselves living on other planets? And one of the things I showed was way back in the 40s, you know, it was sort of a half-and-half, half, you know, kind of proposition where, you know, most people would say they didn't know, you know, a majority. Um, nobody really even thought of the idea of, of visitation from other planets. The, the, the responses were things like, oh, UFOs are hoaxes or they're Russian secret weapons. You know, here we are going into the Cold War. It's a very understandable response. They're just illusions or optical illusions or uh, airplanes or something. But gradually, as you move on through the decades, the, the willingness, or maybe it would be better to say the, the propensity, for people to answer those questions in a way that fits into the alien ET idea, those percentages increase uh, every decade. Until we're at the point now in our culture where uh, the idea of the, the connection between UFOs and this idea that there could be other other life forms, other intelligent life forms, and other planets. It, it's really about split down the middle. So it, it's gone from almost nothing. And in 60 years, we have a 50-50 split of the population. And if you just work the numbers, I mean, if, if we have a population of 280 million, let's just say half of those are adults, 140 million adults. Well, those are the people taking these surveys. If the surveys are in the ballpark, you've got 70 million people 
you know, who who think that it's very possible we could have been visited by by aliens, you know, and, and that this is this is an, an open possibility to them. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the surveys that you know asked other questions. Well, we there were certain surveys, and most of these are in really. There's, there was one done earlier than the '90s, and most of the '90s on, but specifically asking people who who were serious about their religious faith how they would be affected. Uh, by by these ideas, so I'm sure you probably want to get into into those as well. Right, but there right. there are a number of polls, and, and uh, the Gallup polls, really at six or ten year intervals, show a steady progression up to what really is a large portion of the population uh, willing to to believe the foundation at least of what we would call this alien mythology, mm-hmm. you know, or this this alien worldview, this alien faith. Uh, this, this belief system that includes, you know, visitation uh, to Earth by extraterrestrials. Well, you know, there was a separate subset of, of data that you had that was particularly geared toward uh, people's views of traditional religion and how mm-hmm. this UFO concept affected their their views of their, their religion. Can, can you share a little bit about what, what you observed from that data? Are you talking about the, the surveys now? Yes. Yeah. Well, there... I started the the uh, in the session. I, the first thing I alluded to was something called the Brookings Report, which wasn't an actual survey. That, that was a report that Congress commissioned in the early 1960s, 1961 or so. And in that report, the, the report dealt very broadly with uh, um, questions about you know extraterrestrial life and you know different things that would really shake up society. And one of the one of the questions, you know, happened to be, well, you know, what what would happen if if extraterrestrial life happened to be true? If if there was some disclosure of this fact, how would it uh, religious people? And the Brookings report was really negative. It, it even uses the word fundamentalist in it, uh, talking about how this would just shatter the world of fundamentalists. And interestingly enough, mainstream scientists too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those were the two groups that were singled out in Brookings that would be the most upset. And it would re- it would really cause a widespread social upheaval uh, in our culture. It wasn't until 30 years later that something called the Alexander UFO Religious Crisis Survey was created and uh, mailed out to uh, to several hundred people. And that sort of was aimed almost exclusively at uh, people of faith, but it. In my judgment, and people can go look it up on the web and they can see the questions and, you know, who answered the questions. It, it was it was really a mainline denomination, both Christian and Jew, mm-hmm. uh, set, uh, data set. In other words, I looked at it and I thought, well, there's really no way to, to, that, that I could know, just looking at this, how conservative or liberal uh, the responder would be. In other words, how seriously do they take you know, the Bible at face value. Right. Uh, because because if you if you come to these questions, they were, quite, they were really direct questions. Things like, you know, if there was an E.T. disclosure and we found out that the aliens said that they created us, would that bother you? Well, you know, the Alexander crisis has, like most people say, oh, I wouldn't worry about that, it wouldn't bother me. And I'm thinking, well, hey, you know, anybody who would claim to have a high view of Scripture, that's really going to rattle their case. They're, they're not going to be responding this way. And so I, I think the Alexander survey has some value, but I think it's pretty limited because they didn't really deliberately include 
people that the Brookings re- report would call fundamentalists, or that maybe a better term would be just real conservative evangelical kind of believers. Uh, Roper did one in 2002 that was pretty general as well, but the most recent was last year in 2008, something called the, the Peters Extraterrestrial Intelligence Religious Crisis Survey. And that was led by a guy named Ted Peters, who was a professor of theology at uh, Pacific, I think it's Pacific Lutheran, it's on the, the, mm-hmm. it's the northwest here near where I'm at. And Ted Peters has actually been writing in this area for decades, and, and he uh, he's a, one of the academics who's really taken it pretty seriously. And he crafted the survey very deliberately to include the group evangelical, mm-hmm. and you can tell by some of the questions that he really is angling to know what people who would be really feel conservative think. And the interesting thing about the Peters survey, and all the questions and results are, are freely available online, just type in Peters ETI, Religious Crisis Survey, and you're going to get it. Uh, that was That was also pretty positive. In other words, even the groups marked as evangelical would really have no problem uh, with the idea that there are genuine extraterrestrial uh, life forms here. Now, it, it, it varies a little bit when it comes to what we would call sort of theologically significant questions, questions about creation, questions about, you know, our own creation as human beings. Would, would this affect your understanding of the atonement? Or, you know, would Jesus have to die for them? And, you know, questions like that that, that always come up in this discussion. But... In general, uh, even people in the evangelical uh, spectrum didn't seem too too troubled by it. And I don't know if you recall, but during the session, I said I thought one of the reasons why even this survey seems so positive was I linked it to the latest Barna survey. I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. The latest Barna survey talks about how basically how people in conservative evangelical churches don't know much about theology. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like a third of of the Barna respondents, you know, not believing that the Holy Spirit was a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basi- basically Barna's conclusion in that survey was that, that evangelicals tend to essentially make up their own doctrines, make up their mm-hmm. own belief set, and just kind of go with it and, and feel good mm-hmm. about it. And I, that's not hard for me to believe. Uh, it's not just because I'm an academic, I'm, I'm not an elitist by by any means, but it, it, it's not hard for me to believe because I see sort of in my position and in my experience where people are really at in their churches and how much content they're getting, mm-hmm. how much content they can digest. And, and frankly, I think most evangelical churches are are just disturbingly weak when it comes to the content that's dispensed from the pulpit and what people... Uh, are frankly interested in. Hmm. We, we've really, board I think in our churches, devalued thinking for experience and feeling. Right. Boy, no kidding. Uh, and I, and I don't. I don't think that has to be an either-or proposition for the church. I think it should be a both-and. But the way the way that procedurally or ecclesiastically we're going about it, it has become an either-or. And I'll, and I'll tell you which one's flying out the door, and that's the thinking part. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the, the Barna survey was was irritating. I even wrote a little letter from the editor in Bible Study Magazine about it. Um, 
but it's it's entirely believable. And if you take that set, and then you you go over in, into this this other uh, realm of well, how would how would this kind of revelation about extraterrestrial life? How would this affect you theologically? On one hand, you look at it and you're kind of heartened that well, people wouldn't lose their faith over it. But then when you see how they're processing it, mm-hmm. then it's like oh boy. Well, the reason right. they're not going to is because they don't think they don't see any difference here. Mm-hmm. They don't. They can't. They can't think through and sift the questions and the issues, and not only not only can't they do it, but they don't really see why they would need to. Right. Well, you know, that's the worst part. On a very simple level, uh, anytime I mean, you can just look at the. It's a numbers thing. If someone spends twenty minutes or less looking at their Bible, and thirty hours looking at the TV, what is going to have more an influence oh, sure. on your worldview? Uh, and, and the church is a big, big part of it, and that was the, the kind of thing that we would prefer to focus on on our show here. But to be fair, also, we have an educational system, for, for, for the most part, that even on secular matters does not teach people how to think critically, uh, how to look past just the information that's handed to them, uh, how to sift it for the veracity of the data. So, so we have a problem on a lot of levels. But the church is not making things any better and, and certainly has a, a much more sacred duty, I, I think, in these kind of areas. Um, y- you know, you said then during the presentation, and, and this to me it was one of the most cryptic statements I heard in your presentation that really caught my attention. When you were showing all of this data, about 50% roughly or more of the American public believed that there was something to UFOs, that the that – there was extraterrestrial life that was intelligent that they've made contact with us. There's a consistent approximately 50% uh, number, it seemed like to me. And you mentioned that, um, you know, amongst the masses who believe in extraterrestrial life or, or at least are intrigued by it, are that many of them are in our churches today. And you alluded to that a few minutes ago as well. You know, although almost all churches avoid this topic completely that we're talking about, uh, and hence partly why we have our show here, uh, and, and parishioners are embarrassed to even bring up the topic, except with maybe just a few close friends that they trust. They do seem to find outlets to discuss it uh, occasionally and to study it elsewhere. Things like the Coast to Coast radio show, which if people are not familiar with that, is the second most popular show in terms of listeners nationwide. Something, I don't know, 6 to 10 million people listen to that every night. It seems uh, like I have a conversation about Coast to Coast with somebody once a week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is something that is really uh, one of the, the largest forum probably for free, free thinking. Uh, and I, I'm certain that there are a lot of Christians that go there to hear about things that they can't hear ab- about amongst others' br- brethren from a biblical worldview, uh, even though the show mostly reviews topics from a New Age perspective most of the time. Although I will give granted that they'll have people like yourself on there and others that are at least given a platform to give a biblical worldview alternative. Um, additionally, how do Christians find other outlets today? If they're not getting in our churches, how do they find other outlets to discuss these and other taboo topics like the paranormal, for example? Well, I think, I think to, to go back to the fact that they're in your churches, the, the reason for that is because the people who are interested in these topics are just normal people. You know, you, why, do, why do a lot of Christians listen to Coast to Coast? Well, a lot of Christians work at night. A lot of Christians drive at night. And frankly, it's just a more interesting show, and, you know, either secular music or you know something else, sports radio. It, you know, people get into you know into it. They listen to it a couple times and they get hooked because the topics are 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 interesting. I mean, they might not like the answers, but the, the topics are interesting. 
a lot of Christians, you know, at least in, I'm sure in your church, in my church, they watch TV. You know, they, I think I think there's also a lack of real thoughtful, uh, intelligent fiction uh, mm-hmm. in in the Christian realm. And so, what do people do who want to read, you know, something at the level of Da Vinci Code? Well, they they go read the Da Vinci Code. They go to Barnes and Noble. You know, they they don't want trite stories. They don't want you know, Buffy meets meets Brock just before the rapture, you know. It, this is what you get. This is what you get in the Christian bookstore in the area of fiction. Mm-hmm. And people are just, frankly, they're bored with it. Their intelligence is insulted by it. And so they're going to read James Patterson. And Patterson's actually gone into some of these areas, too. You know, they're going to read Dan Brown. They're going to read, you know, some of these, these people who popularize different areas of the paranormal. And, you know... They're just normal. Those are normal day-to-day entertainment-slash-interest activities. And the people in your churches aren't any different than the people who aren't in your churches. You know, they, the appetite, the interest is still there. And so you got a lot of them in your churches. And, you know, you, you asked about um, what, was your, what was your specific well, angle they're, about? Well, they, they found other venues oh, to where do did this. They go? If they yeah. can't talk about it in their church, where are other venues they go to actually express some of these thoughts or pursue interest? Well, I, th- I think a number of them, I mean, th- this is, there's a huge, when you start to get really interested in this kind of thing, and it doesn't have to be sort of an academic thing, it, mm-hmm. it, it can be something that, you know, something that just sticks in your mind, and you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't know what I think about that as a Christian. I, mm-hmm. Maybe I should ask my pastor, oh, my pastor will think I'm nuts, my pastor will right. you know, think I'm wasting my time, or he'll scold me, or whatever. Um there's a large number of people in the population of the church that are disenfranchised at this level. And some of them wind up leaving the church, some of them wind up processing it in all sorts of wacky ways. But if they can't get into the church, and frankly they really, they really can't, they're going to go to the Internet. There are lots of discussion groups, discussion boards. I mean, if, if your audience doesn't believe this, put in something like UFO discussion board into Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just overwhelming. And you can put the word uh, Christian in there, too. You'll still get a ton yeah, of hits. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to get a, just a ton of hits. I mean, it, the you got you got Facebook sites. You've got the discussion boards. You've got various forums. Uh, you've got web rings. You've got a whole set of things that people can go to and interact with people who are like-minded. Again, that's just a normal human activity. You probably won't get you know, a lot of church pages, though. <laughs> like for XYZ oh, Baptist you, Church yeah. with a page right. on UFOs. Maybe like the Radiance Church or something. You know, they yeah. may have something you know on evolution or abortion or something like that, but but this is one one thing you're not going to see a page on the church about. I, I don't know if you recall, like during the, on Sunday we had a session that was a panel discussion, and one of the questions was something like, um, you know, explain to, to a pastor or you know, to some elder or believer, you know, why why they should be interested in this, why they should care mm-hmm. about it. And and my response, I'll admit, was a little snarky, but I think I think there's a point to it. My response was, well, Pastor, so tell me, what other area of the popular culture shouldn't you be interested in? Right. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, this is this is a huge segment of the popular culture, both in terms of the people interested. And in terms, in terms of the content delivered to the popular culture, and if you haven't, if you don't have anything intelligent to say about it, the answer to that 
is not to avoid it because your people will have questions. Mm-hmm. Their, their minds are being retrained to think about these things in, in ways that if, they, if you could read their minds, you would sort of shudder theologically at, you know, what's going on up there. Right, um, right. You know, you've got to invest a little bit of time into it. And, I, and, I, and I'm going I'm to challenge people to do this. If you do this, you're going to see why people are interested in this, because there is a lot of physical evidence for this thing we call UFOs. Now, I don't, I don't believe there are aliens, you know, real aliens, real extra biological entities and visiting us and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm telling you, this, for this category we call UFOs, there are serious people, serious scientists, you know, the PhDs, the whole bit. I can, I can give you a grocery mm-hmm. list of them. Right. There are serious people, and there's a, there are a lot of physical uh, evidence. There's a lot of physical evidence left behind, things like images that appear on radar, the way plants are affected, you know, radiation. I mean, just you go on down the line, there are whole books written on this that are mm-hmm. serious. Right. You know, and people look at that and they go, well, something landed there, something happened. What was that? In other words, they'll see something that, that is credible in terms of there's a question here that needs to be answered. And if you haven't, if you, again, if you don't have an intelligent thought about it, they're going to go elsewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just common human behavior. Well, there are know, documents, you know, that, that talk about, you know, bodies recovered, you know, from mm-hmm. UFO crashes. And people get exposed to this stuff, and it creates in their mind a question. Well, I mean, that document exists. The guy's holding it and showed it to me there on TV. And like, what what do I do with that? I mean, how do right. how do I think about that? And that's why people are interested. They're not they're not interested because they're weird. They're interested because they're curious, and a question has been put into their mind, and they want an answer to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the way we avoid things like this reminds me a lot. It would would be as if Paul would have walked around Mars Hill, and would have <laughs> said, "Boy, there's a lot of strange gods and things around here. Look at the weird stuff they're talking about at this place. I'm not touching this with a ten foot pole." Yeah. And just kept walking or held, held his head down so he didn't see what was going on. You know, I, I find it very sad that you can look at some uh, some theologians who are just, you know, greatly held in high regard by the conventional mainstream evangelical community, like C.S. Lewis, who felt it very important to talk about these topics. And, and, and in fact, they, they might glance over at some of his books like that, but don't give it a second thought to recognize that someone who they highly regarded for his vision and wisdom uh, thought that this was something important to discuss. And when I think of earlier theologians like George Pember, who, who I've always really enjoyed his thinking, his work, you know, he touched the taboo subjects as well. It's just w- one idea. And I feel like we've almost taken a step back uh, yeah, in, well, in the we, ability we, of the church to look at these things. You will find, I mean, this is, you know, th- this will be the, the, the maybe the, the shock point for a lot of your listeners here, but you will find discussions in the writings of Augustine and the writings of Aquinas about what we would call today alien abductions, specifically mm-hmm. things like, I mean, there, there, there are whole sections in the, in the Summa Theologica, the, the major writings of Thomas Aquinas, that talk about, well, if one of our parishioners, if some person has sexual relations with a demonic entity, does that count as bestiality, and is, there that, for, is therefore that forbidden in the Old Testament law? And, and you read in that, and what they're talking about is some night visitation mm-hmm. where they were visited by something and it harvested, 
you know, the you know bodily fluids, you know, from right. the person, and or someone will claim to have been assaulted, you know, sexually or or, or willingly, and, and so the theologians are actually discussing this stuff, and and it, it, it's it's cast in the, into the realm of the of demonic and human physical relations and that kind of thing. But if you take their discussions and you take, you know, medieval reports, you know, different times in history, and you match them up to what people claim, you know, as being an alien encounter, alien abduction, it, it, it's just, it's point for point, you know, the same kind of stuff. The only thing different is that this talk of spaceships, because now, you know, we're in, we're in, a, te- in a technological culture, and that's the way, that's the way the experience is, is sort of cast or processed. You know, but your mainstream theologians, you know, have been here and back. Thomas Chalmers, famous Scottish preacher, was a defender of the idea that there were other worlds, mm-hmm. and those other worlds were inhabited. But what part of his motivation was he was trying to contradict something Thomas Paine had previously said, uh, using the idea of other worlds that was accepted in the Church very widely uh, at the time of the Enlightenment. And he, Paine used that to make fun of Christianity. He was the guy that came up right. with well, if you believe this, then you have to believe that Jesus would have to die thousands of times on all these planets and, you know, figure that one out. Ha, ha, ha. Right. And so you had other preachers that, that we know their names. Timothy Dwight, you know, we, we know these people that are defending the idea of other worlds, you know, may, you know, for different reasons or getting into these, you know, really weird discussions. But it's in the mainstream Christian theological discourse. It's just that people don't know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so mm-hmm. as I've told you before, uh, you're someone who I think often is more orthodox than the orthodox. <laughs> it's just they yeah, don't. You're irritatingly so. Yeah. They just don't recognize it. We're back here at Future Quake with Doc Future and Key Bionic. Mm-hmm. No middle name Bionic. Not not for this segment, no. Yeah, not for this segment. Yeah. Um, any thoughts that grabbed you about our discussion? Well, I thought it was interesting that. Uh, you know, so many good researchers start with t- statistical data, but it's rare that you see that in a, a Bible talk. Yeah, you know, unless it's like a Barna study or something yeah, like or that. Something, you know, yeah, yeah, you church don't planning. But but the, the thing is, the message data. is, it's an unbiased set of data that says that even the Christian public and the public at large is interested in this topic. The only place where it's not being explored is in our churches. Well, yeah, we've heard from numerous different people, both on and off our show. Uh, that they've been, you know, they brought it up to their pastor, and their pastors mm-hmm. called them crazy. Or, you mm-hmm. know, one right. gentleman we know lost his, you know, teaching position because right. of it. Right. Well, speaking of crazy, we need to bring Merv in to tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Nice segue. Thank you. That's all there is. That's it. Come back tomorrow for our next uh, delightful segment with Dr. Michael Heiser. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Shalom. Join us next time 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Going Quickly Bionic. We have to go quickly because we have almost no time here. We've got a large segment of our interview with Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, academic editor of Logos Bible Software, talking about how the ET God is replacing the God of the Bible and society. With no further ado, here's Dr. Michael Heiser, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Moving on to the meat and potatoes of your presentation, um, I want to ask you about, you organized four basic types of scholarly study that are used to approach the ET topic, sort of a, a, a view or a lens. And, you know, one of them was the materialist, for example. Can, can you briefly discuss those four and what sure. are some unique traits about them? Well, if, uh, the academic literature on, you know, this sort of topic, a- academics need labels, you know, like I guess like most people, but they, they tend to pigeonhole uh, people who are interested uh in this sort of thing, and and basically, you know, want uh, want convenient ways to to process everybody. The four were uh, materialist. That is, that's a person who would be an agnostic or an atheist, a person who really believes that the only thing that's real uh, is are the material things, things that I can detect with my five senses. And this would be like the SETI people who you know search for extraterrestrial intelligence that are. This is the scientific community that say, yes, there must be, you know, aliens out there, and we need to use radio telescopes to try to figure that contact them and that sort of thing. But, and that group doesn't really like to link what they do to UFOs, but that's one group. Then you have what the, the scholars call physicalists, and these are the people that take everything really uh, uh, literally in terms of, UFOs being alien craft, and they don't have any time for any other explanation. They're, they're genuine alien craft that have been coming to Earth for millennia from other planets, and they created us through genetic manipulation. They spawned the world's great religions. Um, you know, this, this, these are people like Eric von Daniken and Zechariah Sitchin that, uh, you know, look at the Bible or look at ancient texts and say, see, here, there's aliens all over here describing alien mm-hmm. visitation. So you have those people. Then you have the theosophists. The the, uh, theosophy is basically a, an occult, uh, pagan or esoteric, mystical tradition. You know, so it's sort of an umbrella term. And to this group, UFOs, and are, they can be uh, spiritual things. The, the aliens are spiritual entities, sort of spirit guides. Right. They're very, uh, scholars would use the term shamanistic in how they process, uh, the whole subject. That these are, these are spirit guides that come to us and, and may even traumatize us or abuse us or harm us, but that's to, that's, you know, to refine us as people and get us to, you know, mature spiritually and all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff and have messages for us that they want us to deliver to humanity and all that. And then in the little, they, a lot of the literature has the category Christian fundamentalist, which I always find interesting because it's always Christian fundamentalist. Right. Um, and, th- and this is the group that would say UFOs uh, are a spiritual phenomena, but anything that would be an ET must be a demonic entity. Um, and, and this group will say that's the explanation to the theosophy people. 
that yeah, you're contacted by spirit guides, but they're they're demons, you know, that sort of thing. So those those are the four standard categories that, that if you read through the scholarly literature. Uh, people are going to get pigeonholed into one of those categories. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, I, I would submit that there's even a category of theosophical fundamentalist. Yeah, because hmm. there's some. Yeah, who yeah have... and I, I actually don't. I actually don't find myself. I'm not. I don't really like any of the four categories as far as myself. I, um, I, I'm, I know what I'm not. They tell me what I'm not. <laughs> But I think that they're they're too narrow. I think that there are actually there's actually room for at least one other, maybe a couple other categories. Because as a Christian, for instance, yeah, I I can be a Christian with a real high view of the Bible because I am, and I'm not theologically shaken. I don't think it does any harm to the Bible to say that well there there could be a real extraterrestrial out there that isn't the demon. So like where does that put me? Mm-hmm. I don't fit into any of your four categories. Um, you know, I'm not buying physicalism. I'm not buying theosophy. I'm not a materialist by definition, mm-hmm. and I've just created an exception to the fundamentalist category. Well, so let me let me just submit that there are sometimes special characters right under our nose that we don't even know about and don't appreciate, like Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had somebody fully explain to me the whole nature of what was going on. Was he high plains drifter? You know, what was <laughs> what was yeah, Melchizedek? So, so you know, some of these things we just take for granted and don't assume that, well, no, we don't know all the details. How could he have, like, never been born and no end? Well, whatever, on to the next verse. Mm-hmm. So I don't see that as a huge difference in stretch when you say there's something out there that maybe the Bible doesn't give a lot of elaboration on, but that that is neither a proof nor denial. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do a whole session called uh, Can Christianity... Uh, Accommodate a genuine extraterrestrial reality, and, and I go through all the all the potential objections you know, that have been used, you know, by by the church at different stages of its investigation, and by you know real you know theologically conservative believers. And basically, I, th- I think a lot of the concern is contrived, and it's in reaction to what you know the, the nutty Sitchinites and the nutty materialists say about the subject. And so I think Christians tend to react against something rather than more thoughtfully articulate uh, in, in, in sort of a, a proactive sense you know, mm-hmm. how, to, how to process this. Sure. I think we just need to put more time into, into thinking through it. So a fifth category would be a Heiserist or a Heiserthophical. <laughs> yeah, something, something like that. Okay. I mean, I you know I, I don't I don't think the four really do justice to the range of options. Okay, uh, you know one of the largest bulk of your presentation is where you methodically covered the expansive material of the various aspects of deity mm-hmm. that followers of ET as God have been able to systematically substitute for the Judeo-Christian God. Can can you explain what what those are and how they sure. actually do that substitution? Let me, let me let me share with your audience the the opening quote to that section. Uh, I, I quoted right. a guy named John Saliba, who is a a Jesuit uh, sociologist, and he's somebody who, as a scholar, writes about uh, UFOs and the aliens in terms of religion. He says uh, UFOs can readily function as a religion for several reasons. They deal with important and ultimate issues in human life. They contain references to beings such as gods, supernatural heroes, angels, and devils. 
and they appear to have a spiritual or transhuman, more than human nature, since their presence is not susceptible to modern empirical scientific investigation. I mean, you think about that definition, and you can plug, you know, angels, God into that. It's, they're not God isn't subject to modern science. You know, the, the existence of an angel isn't subject to that. And Saliba would say the UFO community is going to say the same thing. You know, just because science, you know, this can't be subjected to science doesn't mean that we should dismiss it as a reality. And, and his point is that once you get, once you realize that, that to many people these terms are on the same sort of level, uh, then you can understand why people sort of start making substitutions. And what I did in the, uh, in the session was I went through very traditional categories of, uh, the attributes of God. And to show how, how in the UFO literature, the same sort of ideas or descriptions are used of aliens. And I'll, I'll, let me just run through the list real quick. I, uh, the first one was ineffability. And ineffability is a theological term that means unknowable. God is incapable of being known or understood fully. He has to reveal himself to us or else we wouldn't get it. UFOs and you know, aliens are, are ineffable and described that way in the sense that the nature and intentions that they have are unknown and unknowable. Hmm. And so uh, religion, unless you take some DMT yeah. to go underground. <laughs> unless you're on a hallucinogen, yeah. 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 You know, just as religion and, and God and angels are beyond you know, science, now, now we don't need a God you know, to... to um, you know, sort of fill in that, that part of our worldview, the stuff that science can't reach. Now we have aliens to do that. Transcendence was another one. Transcendence, again, a, a term that means something superior to human experience or something of a radically different nature, so far above us. Um, Salibus, I'll give you another quote here. Although you, the occupants are described as if they had physical bodies, they seem to be spiritual or psychic. Their nature, what they are, seems to be radically different than what we are. Um, and, and some UFO literature will claim that, that aliens have a body like Jesus did because Jesus winds up in the upper room and did he go through the wall or how did he get there? That sort of thing. Well, aliens, like in the abduction scenario, they seem to have the same quote-unquote abilities. They, and and, and they're, they're so much more than humans. And so they have a feel of transcendence. Mm -hmm. That people who experience this look at them as transcendent beings, something that is so far above us that we really can't even process uh, what they might be. Imminence is another one. That's the, sort of the opposite of transcendence. Imminence is the idea that of, of God coming close to or, or you know, interacting with humanity. Uh, bridging that that transcendence gap, God coming to us and spending time with us, and it's the role of the spirit as well. In the in the UFO community, ET replaces that too because ET's been here, he's come here all the time. You know, he's come here hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And look at all the people, three to four percent of the population, according to the the psychologists who do research in abductions. They say three to four percentage of the population claims to have had the alien abduction experience. Well, do the math. I mean, that, that's a few million people. And so when people, when those experiencers or the people who know them, I mean, there mm -hmm. you can just double the number, and who consider them reliable family members, trusted you know, loved ones, that begins to, you know, 
give them the feeling or the sense that, wow, these, these amazing, transcendent, super beyond us beings care about us. They're coming here to us. Mm-hmm. They have a message for us. We're important. Isn't that good of them? I mean, it's just it's wonderful, you know, that, that they would they would have an interest in, in what's going on here on Earth, and, and it, it displaces, you know, God or the Spirit. Omnipotence is another attribute. Limitless power. Well, alien technology is forever cast as something so beyond our grasp and, and beyond our even even our ability to conceive. Uh, they that it just takes the place of omnipotence. The, the aliens appear to have mastered laws of time and space. I mean, look look at us. We're nothing. Look at them. They're, they have just all the power. They can do anything they would ever want mm-hmm. to do. Uh, perfection. The idea that God is, is intellectually, morally, and spiritually perfect. Well, the aliens are spoken of in those terms, too. Not only do they have power over physical nature, time and space, and all that kind of stuff, they have abilities to, to speak to us, and, and, and they're, they're on such a psychic level that they can just communicate without having physical bodies. And that, that must tell us that they've evolved to some near-perfect state, and, and they don't annihilate us. So, so right. morally, they, they must be a, you know, superior you as know, well. E- except for a few cases, like when I've talked to Peter Robbins and Nick Redford, <laughs> when they've been caught, these, uh, these visitors have been caught masquerading as the relatives of people. And they they goof up and actually use some of the wrong words, yep. and and uh, and then they get caught. So then they become one of the other relatives. Uh, but you know what's funny? They <laughs> what? know that they know that, but then they still joke about it and carry on their interests. So uh, these guys have got a pretty good PR department in that they maintain what you said this this air of of perfection and an ascended state that is without uh, you know yeah. peer. Yeah, I, I think. I think some of the, let me hit two more, I think there's, mm-hmm. there's two that are really important. One is cosmology, and that is, you know, we, Christianity or, or you know, the book religions in general, have an explanation of origins, and then science has another explanation of origins, and they're often at odds. Well, uh, people who are into UFOs and aliens as alternative religions have pointed out that Theistic views of origins are very earth-centered and human-centered, to the point where they they fail to include any other intelligent life form that might be out there, and so they so they feel incomplete or or, or they they lack complete explanatory power. And then science does the reverse. Science sort of reduces human beings to essentially a higher developed animal, right. and it doesn't give any kind of cosmic significance to people at all. You know, there's no special destiny mm-hmm. for human beings. It's really oriented out there into the great cause, you know, Carl Sagan stuff. And what UFO stuff does is, is it unites the two, because it takes the thing that is beyond Earth and brings it, you know, to, to that place of imminence, mm-hmm. and and it, it connects it in, into into a sort of intimate, uh, broadly explanatory paradigm where the transcendent comes and and connects to humanity. And they are the answer to how we got here. And we say, well, well, we have that too. You know, God, and that's the real story. You know, the transcendent comes mm-hmm. to, the, to the human there too. And that's my point. That's exactly my point. Because the people who have who we would put in the UFO or alien believer community, they've just substituted 
an alien being for God. I mean, you can go down every one of the attributes and every mm-hmm. important theological concept, personal salvation, right. or ultimate salvation, ultimate human destiny. You know, the Bible spends you know, a lot of time talking about that. But it, to, the, to the UFO believer, you know, E.T. is here to, to help us individually to solve our problems, to save our culture, to save the earth, to save society. And, and they're going to make sure that, that we progress. Eventually, they're, they're telling us that we can be like them. You know, we're going to master this technology. We're going to evolve spiritually, become more than what we are. Okay, and that's their promise. You know, if anybody out there in your listening audience knows anything about Gnosticism, this is very Gnostic. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said before that I think that, that the UFO alien belief system is nothing more than rehash Gnosticism for a 21st century technological culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very Gnostic. With some warp drives thrown in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> why does it appeal? I mean, the ultimate question is, why does this appeal to people? And I think it's because... It, it sort of makes the transcendent, the divine, the the cosmologically other. It makes it real. It it it, it brings it you know, to people in a way that feels like it's actually really here because someone saw it with their eyes. Someone felt it. Someone physically contacted it. Someone actually spoke to it that I can talk to. I'm not reading about it in a book about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's real, and it's currently real. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that really grabs people emotionally uh, to think that this fantastic stuff, this stuff that's beyond humanity, that's beyond Earth, is not only real, it's, it's really existent, but it's interacting with us, with me. Now, would that be... And it, um, has, it has our best interest in mind. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, the, the Bible becomes a book that is 2,000 years old, right. and the things that happened in it happened 2,000 years ago. And, and, and that's, that's dead you know, to a lot of people, mm-hmm. whereas this is current... It, it, it's something I can I can interact with with my senses, and it, it's all the things that that God is in in in, in some sort of way. It, it fills all those divine attributes, and and it has I, it's giving me a purposeful destiny. It wants me to succeed. It wants me to to move on to you know to, toward my ultimate destiny. Would that have a relationship then, Brother Mike, to? Uh, people within the Christian world who seek icons, who seek um, Marianist apparitions, uh, who well, seek yeah. uh, even charismatic, uh, like these uh, special uh, uh, revivals that are, you know, the Anointing in Toronto or things like that. Is it a similar drive that drives people where they want to be able to feel and touch something that's beyond the mere normal? I, I think, you know, the short answer is yeah. I see a lot of connection to that, but but I don't. I'm not quick to say yes in a really condemning way because mm-hmm. it's a normal human thing to want connection to God. Right. And and since we're trapped in a body, uh, as it were, uh, we we often define or process the reality of that through our senses. 
And so all those things are, are real, they're understandable. I mean, I, I, I get it why so much of the church, and you pick only some examples, but I mean, a, a lot of what's going on in the emergent church or the broader evangelical church gravitating toward mysticism. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and they'll use that word, mystical Christianity. Uh, it, 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 it's because they want to feel something. They're, they're yearning for that thing that they're worshiping to, to present itself to them, to, to feel real, to be real. And the conduit for that is this sensory experience. You know, on the one hand, I understand that, and yes, you can point me to you know Eastern and Western Church fathers who, mm-hmm. who you know, were very you know, sensory in in their pursuit of God. I, I get it, but none of those guys ever advocated blanking out your mind, okay, right. and dispensing with thinking and processing and discerning. See, discerning is just a Bible bad word for thinking, okay, and if you're not willing to think about what your experience is. I mean, how how do you know whether you're processing the experience correctly? I mean, honestly, how mm-hmm. do you know? Well, the only re- the only way you have to even start to approach and answer to that question is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's what you've been left with. So use it. Okay. Right. Now, so on the, on the one hand, I, I get it. I agree that 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 is part of it. I have to admit, though, that it's a little bit foreign to me because. When I think, and, I, and I'm not saying I had no spiritual upbringing. I became a Christian when I was 16, and I, th- I think it may just be completely just an act of God. But but when I started reading my Bible for the first time, I was 16. I purposed I'm going to read through my Bible, and I tried to do it during the school year, and I was able to do it. It it just became an endless fascination because mm-hmm. I accepted and believed the idea that a cosmic being was capable of influencing humans to write stuff down that he wanted other people to remember and read and recollect. And and that you know, is in this book in front of me. And in some way, this book is going to touch on the most far-out, wacky, or serious questions that I have. Okay, it, It's going to help me process not only my present reality, but ultimate reality. And it's not, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be able to answer every question I have, but it's going to help me think through all of those things mm-hmm. to a certain level. And, and, and it became the thing that God, you know, how shocking, God gave it to us. And so I considered, I considered it worth my time right. to really try to master it and, and think about it. And and let it let people throw stuff out. I, I when I went through grad school, my goal was every place I go, I want it to be harder academically and more antagonistic to what I believe. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to take your best shot. Mm-hmm. You've got me for a couple years. Let's have it. Okay, mm-hmm. because I was confident that I would learn either through my professors or you know through. You know, the spirit. I would learn where the answers to questions were. And if I would be patient, I would be directed to them. Mm -hmm. Much much like Daniel. Right. The scripture would be, it'd still be standing when the dust cleared. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just, I sort of had an intuitive sort of response like that. An intuitive faith like that. It's like, okay, if this is the word of God, it ain't going to get hurt. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you going to do to it that hasn't been done already? You know, sometimes the only the only hurt the only hurt it gets sometimes for the mic is what we do to it ourselves. When when we narrowly define it, when we uh, take our culture and our upbringing and try to shoehorn it and force it into that, I, many I times subconscious. We, we, we do that with creeds, too. And I'm not mm-hmm. anti-creedal. I, I'm somewhat indifferent to creeds because creeds are, are a utilitarian thing that have their place. But they are not the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, and I think because creeds are nice little distillations of positions we hold, that we assume right or wrong is, is the correct, you know, is what's taught in the Bible. Since that's just more manageable for people to learn and sort of master and, and really get a hold on, for a lot of people, that, they sort of become the Word of God. Even though people intellectually know that there's a difference, but the positions that are taken in those things sort of become substitutionary for the Bible itself. And that's just not a connection that, that is valid. And when we can't break out of that, uh, I, I think that does do a disservice to people's interest in Scripture. Because, mm-hmm. well, I, I know the Catechism. Well, you know, I, I mm-hmm. went to this. I, you know, I, I, I read that in the bulletin. It's on the back of the bulletin every day. That's what I need mm-hmm. to believe. That's the Bible. You know, you know, what more do I need to know? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the answer is what, what you know may not be so. And there's a whole lot of other things in there right. that, that you just never get exposed to. Well, if, if I could just add a couple more uh, comments I have that I think supports your premise. Uh, one is my limited knowledge of Judaism, uh, particularly from the Old Testament era. One of the things that seemed like to me became a challenge for them to stay on the right road in their belief was they got to be more and more distant from the good old days, back when the Red Sea parted, back when Elijah was doing his thing. And when, particularly between the Testaments, when they hadn't seen God work in that kind of way, it became their dusty book. The, the, the Torah became their dusty book to, to try to hold to. And so this, this feeling, I think, seems like it goes back a ways. But, but on a positive light, uh, back in the 70s, when you saw the Fuhrer over the, the late great planet Earth and how it caused a lot of people found the Lord, you know, whether the theology or, you know, the, the eschatology is perfect or not, that's not the point. But, but a lot of people found the Lord. It re-energized a lot of people, and I would include myself and, and my brother Absolutely. in that too, because they, they it, people like myself who'd grown up in church, read the Bible the whole time. We were trying to be faithful, you know, do believe in God. But suddenly you start seeing things out of the headlines that possibly have a connection to what you're reading out of the pages of the Bible. It was a whole new ball game, even though you felt like you were still faithful. So it seems like to me th- those examples sort of relate a little bit to what you're talking about, about man's thirst to to have something where they see the hand of God move in proximity. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom going quickly, quickly, quickly bionic. Uh, there's not much time for what we can say. Any quick thoughts on what you had there? Materialist, uh, physicalist, theosophist. I can't remember the fourth one. That's mm-hmm. it. I don't have anything more to say. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more tomorrow, but uh, we need to bring Mervin to tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go? Let's get out of here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming. Come back for the last segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, 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 Bionic. Uh, that was a new one. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be here with you. Uh, this is our last segment today with Dr. Michael Heiser, the academic editor of Logos Bible Software, talking about how the ET God is replacing the God of the Bible in society. And uh, he went through a very methodical discussion yesterday about the attributes of God that we understand, mm-hmm. particularly Judeo-Christian God, Transcendent, imminent, omnipotent, perfection, uh, the reality of a hybrid cosmology, personal and ultimate salvation, evolution versus glorification. And he, I recommend everybody listen to that to find out what he ta- says about those. Yep. But we need to bring him in. So yep. with no further ado, this is the last segment. It's a pretty provocative segment, if I might say, with Dr. Michael Heiser talking about how the ET God is replacing the God of the Bible in society. No, no further ado, here's Dr. Michael Heiser. Remember how I how I sort of ended the talk. You know, it, it was a lot of that kind of thing. You know, like hey, if, frankly, if, if people find this ET stuff more more fascinating and have greater explanatory power for reality as opposed to biblical theology, that isn't their fault. That's your fault. I mean that 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 is the fault of of, of believers not being engaged, you know, at, at any meaningful depth level with doctrine and and questions and how to essentially how to think theologically and how to think critically uh, through a subject, how to take it apart, put it back together again uh, theologically, and, and and link it to the link it to to the reality of our day. Our, lives. You know, general revelation and special revelation should work hand in hand. And, and we don't spend any time really trying to either think through issues like that, or we're so locked into thinking about the Bible a specific way that we sort of stunt ourselves. Um, so it's one, one of the reasons why I decided to do the Naked Bible blog. You know, and the reason I called it Naked Bible was it's just the Bible, nothing else. Okay. Don't bring your creeds. Uh, you know, look at the text, and you're going to be shocked in many cases at what you see. And I enjoy letting people struggle on the blog. I'll bring things up and say, well, here's a question. Looks like, you know, you don't have anything to stand on here. It looks like this passage says it. What do you think? And, you know, the, the Bible becomes sort of a closed thing where I have all the answers. And when you start showing them things that look, I'm bringing this up on the blog, or I'm bringing this up in my class, whether it's at the university or Sunday school class. I'm bringing it up because I'm friendly. I'm on your side. I, mm-hmm. I want you to have a high view of Scripture. I'd rather me bring it up and rattle your cage here than you go home and watch it on the Discovery Channel and it's treated like gospel truth, you know, some some real antagonistic That's right. uh, thing. You know, 
like I, I'm going to do that. I don't I don't care if you're uncomfortable with it. It's about time somebody did it, because if I don't do it, somebody out there is going to do it. Somebody's going to do it to your daughter, to your son when they get to college, or in their high school, or in the Bible as whatever you know. You know, while they're sitting there waiting for the movie to start, it's going to happen because we have this thing called the internet. The internet changes the game a lot. They're not going to ask mommy and daddy in a lot of cases. They're not going to ask ask, ask the pastor. They're going to Google it. And it's just going to be a whole hodge of material. And can they think through that or not? Can you, adult, who's been sitting on your butt for 20 years in church, can you answer that question? Well, Good even then, ought to be able to. I'm, I sound like to me, though, because of the fact that they'll go to other sources for the information, what, what you're suggesting is that you be proactive that you bring yeah. up the topic before they hear it somewhere else and then go look somewhere and you're unaware of it, bring the uncomfortable topic up at the dinner table, which to me reflects back to Scripture when, when God told the people to talk about these things with your sons and daughters when you're walking along the path. Discuss these kind of things. When you see this this uh, you know thing here of this strange, miraculous event, this curious thing, talk about it with them. So it sounds like there's a proactivity that we need to do if we're going to have a chance of thriving in this culture. Yeah, I, the one good thing about Life of the Vinci Code was that it provoked a lot of people who are just you know, to start looking for answers to certain questions that the book raised. And I, I think overall that was a constructive thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, um you mentioned some uh, you've you've covered some of these but at the end of your presentation you you talked about um some other things where the church has for my term dropped the ball uh and in terms of creating an environment that has facilitated the public looking elsewhere uh for a god that satisfies these answers which uh you know it's funny your your whole discussion about what they wanted in a god it it just made me think of that old adage that men used to say about women you know that can't live with them can't live without them uh, it said people want to set aside the God of the Bible. They don't like these attributes, but then they run and cling and try to create a God that has many of those same attributes. Uh, maybe there's a few things missing, like original sin and and atonement and yeah, you know things stuff. things yeah. like that. But but aside from that, they they like the mystery. They like a God that's more. Although they like to fashion it themselves, that they, they they like it to be be powerful and do things. Yeah, there's. There's an accountability issue that's often absent. That's right. Uh, you, you, you mentioned about the creeds and, and the fact that, as I interpret what you're saying, is creeds have had utility, uh, particularly over the ages when you have people of limited education and background. They could get their arms around something that would be called a saving faith uh, that will carry them to the other side successfully. But when you use that and try to make it to fit every single problem, you, you're, you're stretching a little bit on that and gets us into some issues. But you, you, you said that the church avoids asking hard questions. In uh, a term that I th- was fascinated by that you used that I thought was very rich is that they are selectively supernatural. Mm-hmm. And what I understand that to mean is that there are certain pet stories in our Sunday school book about uh, Daniel in the lion's den or, or David and Goliath or the Red Sea passing in which we have no problem with the supernatural action of God. But there are certain other activities that are ongoing that are sort of taboo in the traditional evangelical church. And so they don't, they don't play a fair game. If I'm, am I interpreting that right, what you're implying? Yeah, I, no, I, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that's, 
that's part of what happens. And I'm not saying there's a sinister reason behind it. It just right. does. Let, let, let me give you an illustration. Last Sunday at, a, at my own church service, okay, I'm sitting in the pew, and the, the, the section of Scripture for the day is, you know, Jesus is in the crowd and the woman who creeps up behind him to, to touch his robe so that she could be healed. Okay? Mm-hmm. Every, you know, most of your audience is going to know this. You know, the people jostling around, and she, you know, has this problem. The doctors can't solve it. She spent all her money. She thinks to herself, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be healed. So she makes her way up to him, touches his garment, and, and she's healed. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And the, the sermon, you know, sort of just went went off into some direction about faith and healing or something or other. And, and, and here's what, what popped into my head. Shouldn't he have known? Mm-hmm. He's God, isn't he? Why didn't he know? Because if you keep going in the story, you have the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter dies, and Jesus says, you know, don't worry, she's just right. asleep. He knows she's dead. He knew she was dead before they even left. When they get to the house, they got the professional mourners out there doing their thing in the culture. Then he goes in, takes the mom, dad, and the three, you know, special select disciples, goes in there, raises her from the dead, and then he says, don't you tell anybody about this. Okay, here's the, here's the other thing that popped into my head. Wouldn't the first one is a, is a great discussion for the incarnation and, and how, how that worked with attributes. Okay, that, there's, there's a lot of theological meat there to, to exercise our brains over. And when he tells her, when he tells them, don't you dare tell anybody about this, and Jesus did that more than once, that would be a great discussion for, for God's use of deception or withholding information. He's mm-hmm. not allowed to do that. Well, he must be allowed to do that because he does it in a lot of places. Are we allowed to do that? This, this is how you take a, a normal passage that we've heard a hundred times, and you look at it, and there are theological questions right there in the simple narrative, if you just read the text. But, but people are like, oh, I don't want to think about that. That's just kind of spooky. That's kind of scary. That's irrelevant. Or, or I think the real villain here, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and people aren't going to like this, I think pastors underestimate their people. Mm-hmm. I think pastors assume that their people will be bored with doctrine. And I'm telling you, if I you know, preach that message, I'm not skipping either of those questions. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, that, I guarantee you, that's going to draw people in. Shouldn't he have known, and why is it okay, why is it ethical to withhold information? Right. Okay, that's doing theology from the text. But a lot of people won't raise those questions. They won't do that stuff because they either don't see it, they don't have their senses tuned to it, or they think their people will be bored, or they can't see relevance in it, which astonishes me. But I, I'm just saying, if we did this from the pulpit, people would learn to think through the Bible. They would learn to think through tough questions. They would learn to think through doctrines. They would start to see interconnections between this passage over here and that passage over there. You know, they would begin to appreciate that there's one mind constructing this, and the writers are deliberately borrowing, you know, from the, from other writers in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, you, your mind would be engaged, and your your 
your your ability to think will be better off. Your knowledge of scripture will be better off. Your knowledge of doctrine will be better off. And you'll be able to sit down and watch that stupid Discovery Channel TV show and see the holes in it. Right. Okay? It's just learning to think. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do more of it than what they're doing now. I mean, that is certainly true of me. It's just true of everybody in your audience. It's just that we we want too often to be entertained or we have people over us in spiritual authority that assume that their job is to entertain us. You'll draw closer to the Lord, too, because he'll become more endearing to you when you see part of the depth of his personality, start, his way of thinking. You'll start to read your Bible again for the first time. Right. Because it's like, what am I going to see this time? That's right. Well, I tell you, if you if you wrote me a letter, or, or Tom a letter, and you had a lot of mysterious comments that you made in there, and if I glossed over them, maybe just muttered and went on and never even asked you about them, never mm -hmm. explored further, I think you would be very offended that I didn't take the time that you put something in there, even if it, you just put it in there to sort of see how I would respond to it, see how I would think, you know, what... What it what it revealed about your thinking? If I never commented, right? If if I never commented on those parts, interesting. It, it, and it seems to me that thought. you have made quite a, uh, I won't say a career, but a lot of your your writings and publications are in fact exploring these very passages. Uh, your your work at Divine Council, for example, your PhD work in things, you go into those passages that even regular lifelong students of the Bible that's you know in their church every week for life gloss over those passages along with their pastor and sort of mutter right through them and get on to the next passage, one of the favorites. Let's get on to one of the Sunday school stories and get past these because they make us uncomfortable. Believers do not need to be afraid of their Bible. And there's nothing in the Bible that people shouldn't know about. You know, but both of those, the, the contrary position to both of those statements is just alive and well in church. And when you when you you go outside of church and you get exposed to the world of ideas, as it were, the internet or TV or whatever, whether it's a, a, a big kind of weird question like UFOs and ETs, again, but there's obvious theological importance to that. But anything like that, when your people are stimulated to start thinking about questions, when they have questions planted in their brains and those questions won't go away, when there are things that just appeal to their natural curiosity, and, and they begin to start thinking about them. And if, if they can't take it to church, they can't address it through Scripture because they, again, they're just not, they haven't been taught or they have, they're not used to doing that. Um, you know, they're going to either think that their worldview, the biblical worldview, is somehow deficient. Right. There's something something lacking in it that doesn't cover this, or that there's something here that my pastor doesn't want me to know, or the biblical writers didn't want me to know. Um, you know, we live in a very conspiratorial culture, and, and it, it doesn't take much of that to rub off on people, um, to have it really affect the way they, they think about God and the way they think about Scripture. And, you know, that was sort of the negative side of the Da Vinci Code, all the conspiratorial thinking about how we got the books of the New Testament in there. Right. You know. Yeah, Linda Moulton. Linda Moulton Howe. Yeah, Linda Moulton Howe talked about that when she was on our show recently. Uh, mm -hmm. She had it had really put major doubts in her mind or reinforced a position she already had uh, about that. But you know what's interesting? Uh, someone like Oprah Winfrey, which probably there's no 
one person more influential in society on spiritual matters today than Oprah Winfrey. Uh, by her confession, mm -hmm. as I understand it, she turned away from conventional Christian belief and thought, having been raised in the church as an adult, because she she read she heard the pastor talking about a jealous God, and this jealous God. Um, was something offensive to her that it was something like a, uh, a, a something that would that would be a negative toward her addressed toward her toward other people and now she affects tens of millions of other people in a different direction whereas I've I've thought if she could have read your work just as one example your work about uh, the divine council about uh, our father's work who who is indeed as jealous in his zealousness to try to preserve us and to protect us and to care for the people he has covenant with, if she would have un understood the depth of that right out of Scripture, things could have taken a completely different course with her. And I don't know who the next Oprah Winfrey's are going to be. They may be sitting in a church right now. But they may still be reachable if people are brave enough to tackle these topics that everyone is talking about everywhere else except church. And we finally yeah, bring them up I, with a Bible in our hand. Yeah, let, if we still have a, a minute, let me blame somebody else. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think Christian publishing uh, has a lot of yes. guilt here too. I think it can lay a lot of feet, a lot at the feet of, of the Christian publishing industry, because they just they essentially publish fluff. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there are other words I, I would love to use uh, to, to describe what I think it is they publish. Now, you're talking about and, Tom Horn's publication? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Family Christian Store, you know, or something yeah, like that, that you right, walk in there. Right. It's, it's self-help. It's something that, that is essentially psychobabble sprinkled with, with Scripture stuff. And, you know, that, that, that's one category. But, you know, you go in there, can you find anything of that? And, of course, the, the people at the store, the, the, the people who run the stores at a higher corporate level, and the suppliers are going to say, well, this is what people buy. Well, I know that's what people buy. That's part of the problem. Maybe we should start trying to be part of the solution and throwing our marketing muscle behind some better material because if people start to latch onto that and if, if Christian publishers you know, get a conscience about them, I mean, I'm in business. I get the need to make money. Right. I work for a, for a profit-making you know, entity. Logos Bible Software. But I know, because I'm, I'm in that business now, I know how it works. You have big winners, and they fund the rest of the stuff. Right. And the goal is to break even. Well, pardon me, but you got some big winners in the, in the print industry and Christian publishing. You really can't afford to print something that won't sell as much, that is just frankly better uh, in, in content. But I don't think that there's a will to do it. That's if you serve the public interest. You know, they had the money changers in the temple, so I don't guess we should think things change too yeah. much uh, with that. All that Mooney money that they've been... But now the, the, by, by the, the big money makers, you're talking about the facade, right? Are those the big leaders? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's about as far away from a big money maker as you can get. Yeah, I, I figured you'd have Rick Warren endorsing uh, that book, you know, <laughs> to get it to the next step. Well, you know, I think what we've said here, um, it deviated a little bit for some of the things I wanted to cover, but it really was what needed to be said. And um, I, I hope our people could just chew on it a little bit and think about the significance of the of the points that were raised and maybe challenge, and particularly our pastors who are listening. We have a number of pastors who listen on our show. Uh, many of them are very brave. Even for listening to this show, they're brave. But um, the, the, their pulpits, there's a sacred trust that they have there. And the people are, are sheep, even though they're very intelligent sheep. Uh, 
but shepherds have a duty uh, to at least help get the ball rolling uh, with these people to, to step up to the next level. And, you know, there, there's, there's talk in Scripture about uh, spiritual milk and uh, meat. I think there should be another category, cotton candy, because that's where I see a lot of this stuff you're talking about. Uh, it's something that's pretty. It's fluffy. It, uh, you know, but ultimately unhealthy. It, it's fun in your mouth. But you get too much of it, you get sick, you know, eventually. Pastors, I think, tend to think that they're protecting people from certain ideas or, you know, whatever, from getting bored with theology or, or this dangerous. You're not protecting anybody because they're going to get it somewhere else. Even if they're not looking for it deliberately, they're going to find it. It's going to find them because the information is just everywhere. You know, it can be something as innocuous as walking to Barnes Noble. You see a book cover with a catchy title. You flip it over. You've been exposed. Right. Okay. It, it, you're not going to be able to shelter people. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. They're going to get ideas, and you should be, you know, just proactive. You know, go after it. Mm-hmm. Study it and uh, become proficient yourself, so then you can share with others. And, and you also added the point too that sometimes we may not have all the answers, and it's okay to even leave a little area of mystery within the Scripture of things that it appears, at least to our understanding, seem to mirror darkly, that the Lord may may not have led us to have a complete, full understanding, and that's his prerogative to do so. Why, why would you go back to the Bible if you understood every word of it? What would the point be? <laughs> I mean, honestly, what would the point be? Right. Right. That's that's an excellent point. Um, we're down to memorizing the, a TV show. Why would you watch it? <laughs> there are some people who do, and I don't know why. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The Bible's not like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We don't just get up to uh, dress in the outfits and reenact it. Um, in, in the last three minutes or so of our show, I just want to ask you before we we find out how people can get a hold of your materials. What do you expect to see in our society in the near future to develop regarding? what we've been talking about here. How, how are things going to take the next step, you feel? I think the, my own view is that, is that the culture will become increasingly uh, more paganized and more post-Christian. I think we're already in a post-Christian culture. Uh, I see us culturally heading back to uh, a time that I think eventually will be reminiscent of the first century where Christianity will be a minority view. And there will be you know, a measure of persecution that goes with that. And that's the bad news. The good news is the church has been there before and did just fine. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that God will have a purpose in that, and it'll be a good purpose. It'll mm-hmm. be a, a strengthening purpose. But I don't see, a, I don't see any, uh, any reversal of the trend happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I don't believe in revival or I'm against revivals. Hey, yeah. I, people back in the first century weren't against revivals. But that's where they were living. Right. Okay, and, and they they were willing to suffer for the Lord, and we're going to have to make those decisions too, and we're going to have to prepare for the next generation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, in closing here, how can our listeners follow your research and obtain some of your writings and publications? The, the easiest thing to do is, is the the website, michaelsheiser.com. S is my middle initial, H-E-I-S-E-R, michaelsheiser.com. Connects you to a number of other websites I have, connects you to the blogs. Uh, if you're a student or you have a, a public borrower's card in the public library, you can look me up on uh, religion databases and get some of the, the academic scholarly articles I've written. Uh, 
subjects like divine counsel, um, you know, that sort of thing. But both online and through means like that, you can, you can find me. Okay. I'm not hiding. <laughs> okay. Well, you're, you're a voracious writer, uh, and people can get all sorts of materials from your blogs. Cutting I should, edge. should oh. mention the facade, too, if they're interested in this subject uh, for tonight and, you know, a, a fictionalized, uh, intelligent, thoughtful, um, mind-bending, challenging read. I mean, that, that, that's, that's mm-hmm. the book. Yeah, call your Christian but, bookstore and ask for it. Ask yeah, them if they can yeah. get it. They'd like to see it on the yep, shelf can, there. I get it. And Michael S. Heiser shelf. I tell you, next time we have a 24-hour marathon show, we want to have you back. And we're we're just going to take one chapter, and we're just going to spend the 24 hours on the chapter. Yeah, and, I can't uh, think of a better thing. And we'll at least call it part one on that chapter. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Heiser, thank you so much for your gifts for the body yeah. and applying them for the body of Christ. And for our listeners, um, there's going to be exciting days in the future for your contributions, at least till you get hauled off, uh, and, until you're hauled off to the camps with the rest of us. Uh, we're very curious to see what you're going to have to say and uh, I hope we can disseminate some of your information and your challenging thoughts to a, to a wider circle. That's certainly what our goal is. And we just want to thank you so much for, for spending some of your valuable time with us. And, and please come back. I hope that you uh, felt welcome and that it was worth your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, God bless you, Brother Mike. And uh, just keep doing the good work. We'll be keeping our eyes on the blog. And when some next big information comes down the road, we also want to keep up to date on your, your book. Uh, when you get that ready to go, and we want to be sure and promote that here. And uh, by all means, everyone, sign up for uh, the new magazine. Tell us again what that magazine is. BibleStudyMagazine.com BibleStudyMagazine.com do, do you occasionally add some material yourself to it? Yeah, I, I usually have one or two articles in each issue. Okay. That's that's worth the price right there, like they say on, uh, on Sports Illustrated. You may not get a football phone for getting it. But you're going to you're going to get something <laughs> worthwhile for that. God bless you, brother Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Okay. Bye. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Overall impressed by this show, Bionic. Well, you know he's laid it out there, and particularly these last two segments about that the church has almost tried to dull down the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, tried to make it so trite and passe. You know, that's a hard thing. I don't think anybody premeditated it, but. Um, the, the fascination, uh, particularly the, the things that maybe people don't fully understand, even pastors don't fully understand, they just flee from it yeah. rather than saying, look, isn't this fascinating, this attribute well, of God in, in this passage? And in I may not understand it all, but, you know. And in deference to pastors, they have to preach to people who have who are ready for spiritual meat and are, can only, you know, have milk, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I'd rather have milk than the cotton candy. Yeah, well, I talk about cotton candy. That's another yeah. side issue. Speaking of cotton candy, uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's time for the end of the road for 
this interview time. That's too bad. Tomorrow is Tomorrow's Tremors, uh, where we do a review of the news for the week. We hope you join us then. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Wasn't on Coast to Coast, but still enjoyed uh, listening to Dr. Future on there, Bionic. And welcome to the Future Quake Show, as we said. <laughs> and I'm Dr. I'm not sure Tom Bionic shouldn't have been on instead of me. Oh, I doubt that. Future. Uh, that, well, I didn't, re- I didn't write the chapter to the book. Well, let me first say to our listeners that today's Friday, which means what? What, what is this? Count as it counts as the day after that you aired on Coast to Coast for two full hours talking about inventions, talking about uh, uh, the Horseman. Your little your uh, little take on the Horseman. Lots of, the of silly, meaningless stuff. Uh, well, you helped that fourteen year old kid with his broom. Okay, before we get into that, let me just say it is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Okay, well, if you wanted to go there, it's Friday. Yeah. We'll review the news. We're recording this the day after the historic visit from, of the Future Quake show on to Coast to Coast. C2C but let plus me, one. Let me also say this is coming at the heels of a really great interview with Dr. Michael Heiser. Oh, yeah. Well, gosh, that was awesome. And we have lots and lots of new listeners who have now found us after the appearance on the Coast to Coast yeah. show. Hopefully they have stuck around here for a few days and caught the interview with Dr. Heiser and have nosed around to some of our other interviews, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll find the show to be quite different than what you're used to hearing on Coast to Coast, and I think you'll find it a refreshing difference. Refreshing. And uh, I think you'll find it very interesting, and I want to thank you for blessing us by being here on Future Quake Show. So blessing all of us. our new listeners, it's great for you to be here, plus all of our original Futurians here particularly those who, those of you who knew ahead of time that we were going to be on and mm-hmm. kept us in prayer yeah. during the whole time. Yeah, so, a big shout, out, that, big shout out to the um, World of Prophecy and particularly Johnny the Longshoreman. Johnny Longshoreman is the man. And, yes, he uh, is. He was an incredible uh, encourager and minister to me mm-hmm. and uh, finally got a chance to talk to him on the phone. That was great. At uh, 4 in the morning to 4.30 in the morning. Wow. And... Um, it was just a wonderful time. Was I was great. sleeping in the passenger seat of my car at 4.30 in the morning. Did you know where you were at the time? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was listening to... I couldn't find my radio. I just moved. Yeah. So I was listening... I couldn't find my radio, so I was listening to my car. You weren't part of a rendition program. You weren't being... It sure felt like not it. Not diesel but. therapy. <laughs> you mean listening to the show made it feel like a rendition? No, it's just the uh, uh, all the stuff that's kind of still in my car and still in the process okay. of getting it all put together. And, well, yes, because you, you've had a major... Major move. Yes, I did. You had realignments. Realignments. You have new confederacies with well, uh, new ministries and things. And indeed. New con- amazing. New confederacies. What? <laughs> well, I didn't say axes. I could have said axes. You know, like yeah. the, you know, Italian, German. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the the triple entendre. If what? all of you all knew what your your, your good friend Tom Bionic here is doing in ministry and elsewhere, it would blow your mind. You would the world fall asleep for boredom. The world kidding? is slowly changing based on what he's doing. But let me just explain real quick what happened this last week. Okay. Um, Monday, I got an email last Monday from Tom Horn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new book coming out that he is publishing called um, How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Next Century. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it has 19 very prominent authors, plus me. Does it have Does it have like a guy getting a rendition flight? No, it's much worse than that. <laughs> that guy's <laughs> got it easy. Guy's hanging out the You're back. You're getting ah, rendited. Ah, you got ah. it easy. Uh, but people like uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh-huh. Chris Pinto, yeah. right, and a bunch of other people great, that you great. know. Yeah. And um, I wrote a chapter on fuel and food shortages, and it's actually coming out available for the public in about a month at the top of the uh, September. And uh, anyway, he he sent out a an all-points bulletin to the authors to see if we could have just a wild stab at getting on coast-to-coast. Well, you were the guy that stuck him right in the eye. Well, I called him, and miraculously, a producer answered the phone, which normally doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And they, man, ran me through the mill for two hours of trying to find out what I would talk about, not about my great guests and the great guests we have, Mm -hmm. but but just only my own little crazy stuff. stuff. And then they said, okay, we're going to put you on uh, on Sunday night. So I, right after that, I left out of town, uh, something related to some of my inventions. I was gone, like, working 5 in the morning till like, 11 at night all week, get back late Friday, and then do this kamikaze thing of getting ready for it. So mm. that ended up happening 1 o'clock Central Time, Sunday night, mm-hmm. uh, and I was on until, I guess, 3 o'clock. Yeah, so you were good, hour. man. You were good. It was a crazy, crazy experience. Yeah. It's, like, so different. Then not not just the fact that it's it's a bigger time and, and bigger people, but um, just what they look for. Uh, if any of you all listen, I know a lot of you all listened out there. Uh, I, you can tell it's just so different in what we cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just getting barraged with like millions of questions. A lot of them are like little trivial kind of things. Yeah, it's very strange. It was very strange to be on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Uh, answering little things about me and my background and stuff like that. None of that, which is, other than just like a little brief interlude, was I expecting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the material, in fact, some of the stuff that was announced, I was going to talk a lot about Bohemian Grove. Yeah. And talk about uh, your visit there and about well, I think what that's we know about, about the spiritual the hardiest, side of it. Hardly is the newsworthy thing. Well, I was going to talk about the whole spiritual issues it's around like about I, it. It's not like I drove it's through gone. the gate, you know, I mean. Tom Bannock's always news, no matter what's going on. <laughs> but about the Gog, some of the research on Gog I've done and things. You yeah. know, that was the stuff that was advertised to be on. Never mm-hmm. touched it. Yeah. Never touched it. You know, way down the list was this stuff on the uh, the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. He brought that up out of the blue. But it was always playing catch-up. I was thinking it was like riding Bodacious, the the bull. Huh. You know, just trying to stay analogy. on for eight seconds, you know, yeah. and you don't know where he's going to kick or buck. That's what that interview was like. Wow. And... Uh, just very different than I would have conducted it. I hope uh, it was a positive for him. I thought it was going to be on another hour. In fact, they told me it was going to be on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if I just screwed up. They, just they didn't say that. The screwed. I asked them later. They're mad at you. Or if he just didn't, just decided he wanted to do something else. Or There, there was a really important phone call that came in the next hour mm-hmm. on their open lines of, from an attorney that's pushing the Obama birth certificate thing. That's suing him. Philip and Berg, was, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He's on for a long time. Yeah. So I don't know if that... Came up and they bumped the last hour for that. What happened? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, but it was weird. Well, I'm glad you got on, man. And you know what? I'm so glad for our Futurian listeners. Yeah, they're, they're such an intelligent group of people. Have such intelligent comments. And by the way, all of you all that have been emailing, I, I read every email, go through it. I've just been having a crazy summer of travel and other things, mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to get back to respond to almost all of them. But I will try to make my way back through them. But 
it's not like we're like big fancy pants here. It's just it's been a rough summer. This is true. <laughs> of hanging on with the uh, with the two conferences that we've been at. Yeah. Getting the future mobile ready. Some other work commitments and yeah. things. So it's just been sort of crazy to yeah. get back. But putting that nephilim in the cage for later. That's right. Yeah. Hanging the nephilim. Um, <clears throat> oh, by the way, did I? I don't know if I told you this, but I was in a military facility last week, and uh-huh. a gentleman was operating a per- person I didn't know, um, and we're doing serious work scientific mm-hmm. work and uh something came up somebody there on the premises knew about my show and mentioned you know our future quake show and and mentioned he said oh you do a radio show huh? and i yeah i said yeah you know didn't really say anything what it was about maybe a little bit about mysterious stuff yeah and he says well do you all and he looked real funny do you talk about the nephilim <laughs> <laughs> i'm serious <laughs> do you so talk funny. about the nephilim That's and I, I said just all nephilim all the time yeah and uh, so there are people like us out there, whether mm-hmm. it's scary or not. Yeah. But uh, we're adding new people to the fold. But the last two days. It's been unbelievable. Well, the, the day before the show and the day afterwards, just those two days have been like over 24,000 downloads in downloads. 48 hours. Yeah. Right, in 48 hours. Yeah, that's that's heavy. Remember when we th- when we were like, man, it almost got up to 300 yeah, this wow. week. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Awesome. Just in the last two days. And uh, all of you out there who you're, if you're new, um, Hang listen, on to your listen to the archive. They're free. Mm-hmm. Listen to all of them. You'll find a variety of things yeah. in there. There's all sorts of stuff too. There's the, there's the blog where we post stuff and there's the future quake stuff. And then there's futurequakeradio.blogspot.com. Yeah. And then there's the world of prophecy that has a discussion board. And who actually, had a prayer, like an hourly prayer group that met together. Yes. And, and John even set up a conference call for That's everybody great. to talk. That's awesome. To pray. I mean, these are the best friends in the world. We they're, got the we have the best friends in the they're world. They're cool, man. I'm sorry that I was I was moving. I didn't have any internet. I I no. missed all of the prayer thing. You have your own empire of ministry that oh. is being created elsewhere. Holy! You, you've got your very popular. Uh, like, you know, here we are just praising each other while yeah. the time's a wasting. But yeah. thought I'd mention it. I just thought that was sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Can I mention one other thing I heard today that I don't know if you've heard since you've been busy today? Re- really quickly, because you got we got. I want to get to the Go Army rendition special. Okay, okay. The the uh, uh, thing I heard, and I only caught it had started, so I don't may have some of the details not quite right. But evidently, there was something on a Glenn Beck show with somebody who was some expert or someone who was on their show and told them in the last day or two about the the whole program for the Clunkers for Cash program, mm-hmm. where it's a f- formal program and the dealers have to get on their computers and log on to a government site to fill in all this information and do this stuff like this. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to get all the details right, but I want to tell everybody to look it up and find out yourself. Mm-hmm. This gentleman said something to the effect when Glenn Beck was reciting it that there is a screen that comes up with whatever computer you use to get on this site mm-hmm. that says that by using this site and getting on board, something to the fact that your computer becomes the property of the U.S. government and it has the ability at any time to uh, take information at any one time from your computer. That's crazy. In other words, it actually will go inside your computer and take at any time. Which, not just while you're online they're doing stuff, but it will just actually go... Get that information. Oh, that's crazy. And they don't even know. In fact, Judge Napolitano was on talking about uh, with them. Well, and he says, you know, they don't even know if it's a virus. If it's something that it could go and get on other people's computers and then mm-hmm. download your information from that's, there. That's, wow. Ah, roll, hope for the hell. Yeah. 
head for the hills. Oh, that's just a bunch of conspiracy theories. In fact, that's what Glenn Beck said. He says, yeah, he says, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but it is what it is. And, of course, you know, uh, Judge Napolitano, he didn't blink his ass, you know. Yeah. He knows it's the evil government. He, yeah. He doesn't have any questions about it. Yeah. But the other thing that you want to talk about just right now was something related to an email so. from a new friend of ours who sent this uh I think just found out hopefully from from coast to coast, but uh, maybe from some other reason. But somebody sent an email to me this afternoon that said, uh, "Look, the uh, uh, the whole program of internment is is starting, and it was something related to a hiring program that the army has for people for internment camps." Well, let's let's, and so, let's look yeah, right here at the website. So it had a link to goarmy.com, the official mm-hmm. army website, yes, and it's we, under career and job yeah places. If you at, go to at, the, yeah www.goarmy.com backslash job detail dot do question mark id equals 292 yeah and uh, under career and jobs this particular job code is internment resettlement specialist or 31e yeah 31e and uh, it says specialists of the army are primarily responsible for day to day operations in a military confinement correctional facility or detention internment facility they provide rehabilitative health, welfare, and security to the U.S. military prisoners within a confinement or correctional facility. Conduct inspections, yeah. prepare written reports, and coordinate activities of prisoners slash internees and staff personnel. Mm-hmm. Force fluoride into their bloodstream. Some oh, of I'm your sorry. duties uh, as an internment resettlement specialty may include beating prisoner slash internee until they are blue in the face. Now, now that's an embellishment yeah, by Tom that's, Bionic. That's complete, yeah. But it is a uh, supervised management of confinement and detention operations, uh, external security, uh, the facilities. Provide counseling and guidance to individual prisoners yeah. within a rehabilitative well, that's, program. that's nice. Yeah. So anyway, I, evidently counseling, they're, they're seeing a stick, big need. Guidance, my truncheon. They're seeing a big need uh, uh, for this. This mm-hmm. is going to be... Uh, a big job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, here at the bottom, one of the advanced responsibilities provide command and control, staff planning, administration, blah, 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 custody control for the operation of detention facility or the operation of a displaced civilian resettlement facility. That's crazy. Now, it's, that's not saying some overseas people or terrorists. No, that's saying a displaced civilian. That displace them. We're going to displace them, and then we're going to put them in a camp, and then we're going to give them fluoride in their water, and then we're going to give them uh, a shot of uh, saline-laced vaccine. Well, it says, though, if you if you get out, though, the skills you'll learn as an internment resettlement specialist will help you prepare for a future with federal, state, county, or city law enforcement agencies. Because, yeah. you know, they do a lot of internment kind of stuff. You also might be able to pursue be. a career as a security guard with... Firms, airports, and other businesses and institutions. So, uh, awesome. Evidently, they're having to gear up. Yeah. And uh, that might, if you're looking for a job and you, you, you were thinking you something other than a Walmart greeter, how about interning and detaining your fellow citizens yeah. and your neighbors and friends and actually uh, using the club on them? You can be on the other side of the yeah. fence eating the delicacies. Nothing, um, you know, I can just see the. Uh, the 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 brochure. Nothing was so satisfying as when I clubbed somebody with my nightstick. Yeah. Thirty one E internment yeah. and resettlement facility. Oh, it, it that, that couldn't happen in a modern Western. No, it can't happen. Culture like Germany. Hey, wait, no. Let's be. Let me be my parents. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Do they just hold that as a flashcard? Yeah, it's like when you spread I think this they, information. I think they write this. I think they write it like in in fifty four uh, font, fifty four point font okay. over the phone, and then they call me. Okay. Hey, what's going on? I and we talk for a while, and then they'll say something like, "I hate to pick we off must, we Mr. Must, Mr. and Miss Bionic, Mom and Dad Bionic." Yeah, they're good. They're good people. They just yeah. uh, are from a generation where they don't believe these things are going to happen. And then when they do, it's like the the FEMA truck's going to back up into their house and get the both of them. Well, probably yeah. not because they're really into. They believe that by supporting the government, they're doing the right thing, even when the government does evil things. Okay, but, like uh, slavery and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, like that. Well, uh, we still got some time for some news. I thought those were all fascinating developments, but yeah, we uh, people, everybody needs to go and print this story off and give it to ten of their friends. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like give it to your pastor. Yeah, well, I'm gonna stay silent. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, you, you now, do you want to do a story? You want me to? What do you do? Um, we'll tell you what. I'll I'll do a quick okay little one paragrapher here over. Overview right. on this thing, and okay. then you can get a little bit more in depth there sure. with the Tamiflu. Sure. Um, this is uh, uh, Greece. The name of this article is Greece to Enforce Mandatory Swine Flu Vaccinations. Greece has become the latest country to announce it will enforce a mandatory swine flu vaccination program despite fears about the jabs containing mercury and squalene. Now, folks, squalene is a it's an oil-based uh, additive that they put in vaccines that has been linked to just about every bad thing that has ever happened to human beings. That's a little bit of a dramatization, but not much. Well, no wonder they'd want to add that to it. Yeah. Because uh, they don't put it in happy well, moments. It's, well, it's been... Uh, who knows that... I'm, I'm not sure that they don't. Okay, well... Uh, it's been directly linked to cases of Gulf War syndrome. Uh, it's been, it's been uh, uh, linked to arthritis, fibromyalgia, uh, lymphadenomathopy... Boy, that's a tough one. That's an inability to pronounce long words. Yes. Rashes, photosensitive rashes, uh, malar rashes, chronic fatigue, chronic headaches, abnormal body hair loss. If that's the case, I might need to take some of that squalene. So it helps you lose an abnormal body hair? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might I might see if I can write for a, like a patch. Okay. <laughs> uh, non-healing skin lesions. Well, if you move to Greece, they'll make you take it anyway. Yeah, I know. I, I like Greek food and, you know... But I don't know how many born again Christians there are in Greece and language barrier and you know, be tough. Well, there's yeah. a church called Greek Orthodox, so Yeah, but I don't know I don't I don't think I don't think they believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean it maybe well, it's from church to maybe church. Maybe they need Tom Bionic. Patriarch Bionic. That's cool. There. I'll get the big hat and the big stick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Big okay. stick. Uh uh Sojourn syndrome, chronic diarrhea, night sweats, low grade fever. Ronald's phenomenon, multiple sclerosis, ALS, systematic lupus, uh, elevated ESR. Okay, we got the bad stuff. So it's bad, and they're going to give the entire population of Greece, uh, all 12 million of them, um, this vaccine. Now, are these the Turks that are making them take it? Because I know they're mortal enemies. It sounds like the ultimate weapon. No, the no, Turks this is the this Greece. is the Greece. This is the Greek. Um, Greek government saying this. Okay, so that's the is that's the enemy of the Greek people. Yeah, well, it's very, government. It's very interesting, as you recall, last year about maybe two years ago about this time there were those huge riots and all that stuff about mm -hmm. uh, the uh, whatever I can't remember whatever one of them Penelope of 
New World Order groups was meeting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the WTO, I think, might have been the WTO, and they had riots there for weeks before yeah. and weeks after. And uh, now they're the first people to get the jab. Yeah, payback time, isn't it? Yeah. The man's coming back. Yeah. We'll show you. It's uh, the boot to the head. They better you better know how to hide. In fact, uh, I hope they have some Greek doctors who will be patriots mm-hmm. and will make out fake slips saying that people have been vaccinated so mm-hmm. that at least they can preserve some of the bloodline. Oh, yeah, and here's one other thing. Vaccine makers and federal officials will be immune from lawsuits that result from any new swine flu vaccine. Uh, that was, and that's a document that was signed by the Secretary of Health and Human Sur- Services, including the government. Yeah. Now, what they would, what they would argue in some kind of ridiculous way is that, oh, we have to waive it off for industry because they wouldn't make it otherwise, mm-hmm. and that's when we get it. But there's no excuse for the government to waive their their liability. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what's impeding getting it out there. Otherwise, it's an admission of guilt. It is. Very much, in my opinion, an admission of guilt. So uh, we have listeners all part that part of the world in Eastern Europe, uh, in Southern Europe. Uh, if you're a doctor out there in Greece uh, and you're a Christian, the Lord may be telling you to uh, don't give, stick people. Well, giving you a, uh, you know, it might be sort of like what it was when they hid Jews during the World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may be called to make out some fake slips. There you go. Of uh, of that for the salvation of people, physical salvation of people, and so. Uh, I pray that the Lord will give you the courage to do that. Yeah. And and those of you who have families there in that area, and by the way, Greece is just the beginning. If it starts at one, it'll no, go no, it's going, it's coming here. It's coming here. It'll go through the EU and here. So, well, can I have another vaccine one in Hit our it. remaining time? Hit We've got it. just about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Tamiflu. Uh, some of you may have heard this in the news. This was on, on Fox News too. This is from the London Times. Tamiflu causes sickness and nightmares in children. Study finds. Uh, children re- report a range of side effects, but the official advice is that Tamiflu is safe. More than half of children taking the swine flu drug Tamiflu experience side effects such as nausea and nightmares, research suggests. More than half. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be sort of like definition of a poison? Yeah, well, that's very interesting. That's inter- about the same thing as like rat poison. That's very interesting because ratio. I've been doing some studying on the um, on a tribe in, in South America that what they do is they take this – they take the uh, – child at a very early age, train him to be a, uh, a shaman, and make them fast, and then uh, blow drugs up their nose and stuff yeah. that are, end up being sort of similar to some of the drugs that we have that are over-the-counter things. That is getting to where I'm going with this story, okay? Okay. So let's, we'll come Great back minds, to that point. Take a lot. Go ahead. We'll come back to that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, an estimated 150,000 people with flu symptoms were prescribed the drug. This is a British mm-hmm. place through a new hotline and website last week. Uh, studies of children attending three schools in London uh, showed that 51 to 53% had one or more side effects from the medication. 53%? Which is offered to everyone in England with swine flu symptoms. The research by the Health Protection Agency uh, and reporting by the Chief Medical Officer for England said swine flu infections may have reached a plateau. Uh, he said an estimated 110,000 new cases of H1N1 were diagnosed by doctors in the week as of Sunday. Um, he said that the uh, deaths of 27 people in England were confirmed uh, compared to 26 last week. Now, 27 people died. How many people died in car wrecks? I'd say no, probably a few more than 5, that in, in, the whole, yeah. in the whole country. Okay. Uh, it says, yesterday, Natasha Newman, 16, in North London, was seriously ill in hospital after contracting swine flu while on holiday. Um, let's see. Let me get down the list here. It says... Uh, 
Uh, it says, uh, Peter Holden, the British Medical Association's lead expert on swine flu, suggests that Tamiflu is being overused and did not need to be offered to everyone with mild symptoms. Uh, the National Pandemic Flu Service has been a great success. I said the threshold for getting Tamiflu should be quite high. Uh, it says, for those who are not in high-risk groups like pregnant women with bad asthma or suppressed immune systems, this causes mild symptoms. does not require a course of Tamiflu. But yet, they're wanting all these people to take it. Um, it says 103 children took part in the study. 85 were given the drug as a precaution. Uh, 45 experienced one or more side effects. Uh, nausea, 29%. Stomach pain or cramps, 20%. Problems sleeping, 12%. Almost one in five, 20%, had a neuropsychiatric side effect, such as the inability to think clearly, nightmares, and behaving strangely, according to the research. Uh, let's see, the study was carried out in April and May when the drug was being issued as a preventive measure. So it was already being issued, and then they're doing the studies after the effect here. Yeah, well, that's what they did with uh, the swine flu in the 70s. Right, right. They gave people shots, and it messed them all up, and they didn't do a single study. There's a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just Sorry, wrap it up here. Health officials in Japan have recommended against prescribing Tamiflu to teenagers over fears it causes a rise in neuropsychiatric events. Mm -hmm. The researchers said that clinical trials have been shown about 20% of adults report side effects of either nausea or vomiting. Uh, the Department of Health and Medicines said the drug was safe uh, and that the benefits of er treating early symptoms outweigh the risk. Uh, so anyway, that, that's not the whole story. The other story I've heard on this is that these are like extremely severe nightmares where like they're just absolutely terrifying events. Well, and what I'm wondering, it's related to what you just said about you take, take children or take anyone like that and, and you forcibly put those kind of drugs... The drugs that, similar to what we've, mm -hmm. they've had spiritual encounters with mm -hmm. beings and stuff like mm -hmm. that. The, these kind of nightmares, who knows how close they may be to DMT experiences? Probably pretty close. I may be exaggerating, but why the government is forcing something like this with like no studies, any kind of data like this is coming after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know what? What is being forced on us? Is is it really the pharmacia? Is it the sorcery of Revelation 18 being forced on our children, on the public, where they trade in the souls of men? Mm-hmm. Who knows? I don't know. But you know we got through two related stories, and we're pretty much at the end of the line. All right, hit the button. We normally get four or five stories a day, but... We never get four way. or five oh, stories yeah, a day. Are you kidding? It. We get close to it. <laughs> we got another great uh, interview next week. Yeah, uh, for those of you new to the show, Monday through Thursday we have a, uh, a guest interview, followed by our news on Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, the best thing of all, all of our new people who have come to see us, that... Uh, emailed me and uh, said, hey, we didn't know about you. We saw you on Coast to Coast. We're Christians. We like hearing about this from a Christian perspective. You all are most welcome here. And yeah. uh, I'm just glad to let you know yeah. you've got a place, a home, to come hear about these topics you'd like to hear about on shows like Coast to Coast. Yeah. But we're going to look at it from a biblical worldview. And those of you who are not from a biblical worldview, you're fully welcome here as well. Use your own discernment. Decide whether you think there's uh, validity to what we talk about here. Mm -hmm. But you're sure welcome for your inquiry. But we need to get Merv in to yeah. uh, tell you how you can contact us and let us know what you think about Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're running over. We're super duper late, man. Come back uh, Monday for a new show. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, 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 quake.